What's good, guys? Welcome back to the Give and Go. Reynosa here with my boy. With my boy. Soltero, what's and up, guys? <laughs> I'm a little sick today. I'm feeling a little sick. So I might Run sound a little nasally. Ah. But hopefully it's still a pleasurable experience for our folks. <laughs> so... Man, I've been wanting to talk football for so fucking long with you, man, because the, what these people don't know is that I see you on the daily, bro. I see you. Yeah, with, yeah. I go out with you. I drink with you. Right. And uh, we play FIFA. We play FIFA. Yeah. We go out on weekends. We go but bowling. We go bowl, big bowling. <laughs> big bowling, guys. But, but when we're doing all these things, I can't really touch on football because no, 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 I want to no, save no. it for the show. I want right. to get your real reaction. I want to get. I want it to be genuine and authentic. Yeah. So we're finally here seated, man. What a goddamn week, man. Yeah. What a goddamn week. Hell of a week. Bro, I, I feel like we're going to say that every, every week. Go- something about football this year, man. There's something about football this yeah. year, man. Yeah, literally, like, uh, like I was watching another channel, and they were like, man, it's kind of, it feels like every day there's some piece of big news. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember it being this, like, dramatic, man. It's no. so chaotic now around, and I love it. Yeah, I love it, too. Yeah. This week specifically, I'm calling it the blowout week. The oh, blowout okay. fucking week. And here's why. Listen to these results. America. <laughs> PSG 7. Oh, yeah. Lil yeah. 1. Yeah. Bayern 7. Mm-hmm. Bochum 0. Yeah. Braga. Oh, yeah. Diego Linus is yeah, 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 yeah. 5. Maritimo 0. Yeah. America 7. 7. Cruz Azul 0. Seven. Santos 5. Pumas 1. And that even Chivas crazy. got in on this shit. Oh, yeah. 4 Chivas 4 0 against Nick Coxa, bro. That's in. That's in. That's. That's correlated. Yeah. That's really interesting, that's man. global. Any of those uh, results stand out to you this week? <laughs> <laughs> I t- honestly, I said the one that surprised me the most was the America Cruz Azul one. Yeah. Simply because you really don't see seven goals in a Liga yeah. MX game. You just don't see it. Not from one team. You see 4-3. You see 3-3. Yeah. Three, three, you see 5-2. You don't see 7-1. No, even 6, man. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even that. Like, that. that's pretty rare. And to do it in a Clásico, that, that's pretty insane yeah. for me, man. Yeah. So that 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 one stood out the most out of all yeah. the out of all the blowouts this weekend. Yeah, it, it was tough, especially if you're a Cruz Azul fan, because you had chances to stay in it yeah. multiple times. There's a play where they hit the post twice back to back, and back. I was like, "Oh, this is like this 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 goal is demented right now." There's like a, a curse going on for Cruz Azul this specific game. Just one of those games where they can't get it. They can't get that final goal. They can't finish. Yeah. It just wasn't working for them. And America got the big big dub. Dude, that game was like a war zone because America was just. Firing, yeah, non-stop, yeah. bro. Yeah, and it's almost one of those things where it's like they almost <laughs> used up all of their finishing in one game. Like <laughs> the next game, they might it might be nil nil. Like yeah. they might have used yeah. it all up in that ninety minutes because, bro, they were not missing. They were insanely clinical. They were bro. really clinical. Henry Martin is looking insane. Yeah, bro. he's looking good. Sendejas coming through with the goal as well. Yeah, Valdez. Yeah, Diego Valdez, man. Everyone was just firing on all cylinders for America when it came to shots in front of goal. They were clinical. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. And, uh, I mean, you can say the same thing for PSG. PSG, who scored yeah. eight seconds into their match against Lille. Uh, the quickest, I think it tied for the quickest goal in French, in French football soccer, history. Yeah. Uh, pretty crazy set play. Yeah. Uh, Neymar, Mbappe, and Messi go on to just produce another masterclass where they all get involved on the uh the um beating yeah. of lil mm. and i mean real quickly we didn't mention it last week so i just want to bring it up now that you know we were asked about what, what we think about this rift between mbappe mm-hmm. neymar and messi and although i do think there's something there in terms of egos i think a result like this just kind of shows you that when it comes time to perform on the pitch these three class acts just show their 
their class on yeah. full display and they they figure it out they work together regardless of what's happening off the pitch exactly i actually tuned into this game watched the whole oh, thing watch the whole goddamn thing and yeah my ultimate takeaway from this was professionalism mbappe neymar and messi at the end of the day are professionals and I know a lot a lot of people were really, you know, and maybe rightfully so, really har- harping on Mbappe. Yeah. Really saying, man, like, I don't like his character, good footballer, you know, kind of giving that love towards Messi and Neymar. But the thing is, I feel like that narrative has been going along for a while. That's true. That's true. So I feel like it's just, it's, it is easy to pick on Mbappe, especially when you have so much love and appreciation for two legends like Neymar and Messi. Yeah. Uh, when you look at it, I can, I can kind of get both sides, right? Mbappe, we've said it before, this is arguably may, may, maybe his team as far as like the offensive line is concerned, how clinical he is, how efficient he is in front of goal, how deadly he is, and honestly, how fit he is. That, that's we, my we, thing, yeah. Th- that's yeah. the biggest it's thing is that Neymar just hasn't played a full season in a while. And then Messi just joined the team last year, so he's finally yeah. getting his gears going. Um, but at the end of the day, it was a little penalty, a little farce there. But they talk it out, I'm sure. Maybe there's a little arguing. But that's the thing. Like, if you're on a team in any field, not even soccer, like engineering, you know, any other team, you're going to have disagreements, man. Yeah. And this was just one of those things. It gets magnified because these are superstars, man. It's fun to talk about. Yeah. But at the end of the day, these guys are professionals, man. And what they showed out there against Lil. They beautiful swept them. They swept, swept them. them it was beautiful, beautiful gameplay, beautiful finishing. Oh, dude, it was gorgeous, up. man. They're looking so good. I'm telling you, man, yeah. they're looking so good. I'm jumping on this bandwagon early, bro. Choo yeah. choo, hop aboard. <laughs> Speaking of things people over amplify, maybe perhaps the the heightening of of drama. Manchester United. Ah, yeah. Manchester United. Uh, I mean, we had like a 15 minute segment last episode where we spoke about their downfall, right? Yeah. Bad, grim. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. They do two things between that episode and this episode. They sign Casemiro. Yeah, I saw that. And we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. And then today, they host Liverpool at Old Trafford, and they essentially put a beating on Liverpool. Liverpool lose 2-1, to one, and Manchester United all of a sudden looks way more hopeful, looks way more just improved now than they ever did seven days ago. <laughs> 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 were we were we were we over amplifying it is there something there what's up with it what's up with what's happening now is it just one game should we just chill yeah so here's my take on this old trafford was rocking rocking i legitimately haven't seen it like that Neither in like five years man i haven't heard it that loud yeah. in like five years either it was electric in that stadium and rightfully so united were on the front foot they were going yeah. at Liverpool, making Van Dyke and James Milner have a whole heated exchange. Yeah. I haven't seen that. Not not yeah. like that. And Van Dyke's just like, yeah, I got I got got, I got, on that got. One. And it all culminated in ultimately United getting a big three points when they had lost the first two games. But I'm I'm gonna take a calm approach. At the end of those 90 minutes, I was I was like, wow, I'm very impressed. Yeah. I was like, okay, this is great. This is good progress. United might be back, but after I, after I simmered down for the next 30, 45 minutes, I was like, it's one game. It's one game, it's yeah. one game yeah. against a injured and, as we kind of said before, maybe a less inspired Liverpool this yeah. season. Yeah. Something we maybe weren't expecting. I don't think a lot of people oh. were. But this Liverpool team, 
has gone up to a weird start. They've gone up to a really shaky start. It's really weird. So for me, it's not like United play hot Arsenal. It's not like they played uh, against an aggressive Tottenham side. It's not like United got this big three points against a feisty Brighton side. You know what I mean? Yeah. They got it against a down-on-their-luck, shaky start Liverpool. So that's why I'm not going to get carried away. Mm. I'm not going to get carried mm. away. I need to see two, three more games of this mm-hmm. squad. Let's see what happens. But but on the day, on the day, over the course of these 90 minutes against Liverpool, United were fantastic. Now I'll I, give them that. I have the same approach with, uh, with them signing Casemiro. I have the same approach of let's not get carried away. Okay. okay. Um, you know, it's because a week ago we were all clowning Manchester United. We were... Everyone, even Manchester United fans themselves, were just <laughs> yeah. sitting ten hog out, glazers out, yeah. oh, and then yeah. arrives Casemiro like a shiny brand new toy, <laughs> and all of a sudden they forget all of that, and all that shift focuses over to him now. And I mean, you got people saying that he's going to be the savior for the squad, and on the one side, I do kind of see that 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 um, that view because it's what they needed the most. For the past year, I've been saying that they need a center defensive mid, they need a good six, yes. and who do they sign? Probably one of the top three center defensive mids in the world. Of in football. the world, uh, I think it's it's Casemiro, Rodri, and Fabinho, and they just rotate based off of form. I think those three dominate that side of the game. Manchester United gets their guy, but I'm not fully confident yet in how Casemiro fits into the system as a whole. I don't know how he's going to operate in this ten hawk system. Uh, I do know that he is a vastly better improvement than Scott McTominay. Yeah, I do know that he'll provide much better. Uh, reliability than someone like perhaps Fred, but I'm just not sure if he's the guy or if he's the last piece needed mm. to take this Manchester United back to back to those old ways, back to that top four type of finish. I don't know if it's there yet, but I do think this is a solid move and it's good and I'm happy that they did it, but let's not get carried away. Yeah, yeah. I can actually kind of see your point because at Madrid, Casemiro had two of the world's greatest technicians alongside him with Kroos and Modric, right? So he had a lot of freedom as far as maybe getting out of position to go retrieve a ball. But that's the thing. Casemiro is really good yeah. at it. So he, uh, the coach and the players around him have that faith in Casemiro to just be aggressive, yeah. especially in that defensive possession when they need to be aggressive. Um, what'll be interesting is how does Ten Hag use the midfielders around Casemiro when he comes in? Because what, what Tenog did today is he dropped Erickson down alongside McTominay in the center of the park. Whereas uh, in the previous case before, he kind of tried to play Erickson in more attacking position. Yeah. But I like that move because at the end of the day, Erickson is, has excellent skill on the ball. So whether you need him to be more attack-minded or maybe just more distribution-minded. More conservative. Just more yeah. conservative and more focused on just rotating the ball to get uh, players off the ball to make runs or you know maybe make cuts inside. Erickson can do that. You know, he, he's, he doesn't have to be an attacking midfielder. The idea to drop Erickson deep, I thought was a really good move by Ten Hag, and it worked. The thing is, if Casemiro can find that par- partnership with Erickson as the two central midfielders for Manchester United, I th- this might work. This actually might be a good signing. At the end of the day, all that'll happen is McTominay and Fred just go to the bench. Mm-hmm. And they'll just come in, super sub, or rotation in the cup games. And the two starting midfielders I could see at the center would be Erickson and Casemiro. Yeah. I think that would make the most sense because, as you said, at the end of the day, even if he doesn't have Kroos or Mulders next to him, Casemiro is one of the yeah. best defensive midfielders on the planet. So... 
whether he fits into this team or not, he still has a lot of benefits to give to this Man United team. I'm going to go ahead and give this signing like an A+. I think it's a yeah. good signing because, as you stated at the beginning of this whole session, they needed a defensive midfielder badly. So getting Casemiro, I think that's pretty good. Yeah. I think it's just annoying they waited so long and they still haven't gotten De Jong. And I think they will. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. And it's just so stupid because yeah. it's like, well, if you're not going to get De Jong, then just get Casemiro earlier. Yeah. Like, yeah. shore this shit up earlier, yeah. man. I'm tired of that. Yeah. But, hey, they got it done. They got the midfielder that they wanted. At the end of the day, as far as skill level is concerned. Yeah. So, for me, good signing. Yeah, and I think one thing I learned today is that outside of the implementation of a of a reliable central defensive midfielder, what's more important for Manchester United is the implementation of a philosophy and approach. Because what we saw today was a Manchester United team that believed in Ten Hag, that believed oh, in his yeah. system, and that believed in each other. I have not seen Manchester United play with that much energy and confidence, dude, yeah. in like a good half a decade. It was ridiculous to see how out of nowhere, following this awful, horrific loss to Brentford 4-0, where they got absolutely embarrassed, walloped, shambolic. <laughs> Usually I don't see teams respond like this, man. Yeah, They responded with a belief like, like no other. I don't know what Ten Hag was saying to them this week in the build-up to this game, but it worked. Yeah. It worked. And I, I genuinely was taken aback by it. I'm like, oh, shit. Ten Hag really, really proved me wrong here. Kind of shut me up a bit because this is exactly what I would have hoped for following the 4-0 defeat if I was a Manchester yeah. United fan. This is what you would want. This is the best-case scenario is beating, beating a Liverpool squad who, yes, is a little bit down on their luck, but it's still a solid a oh, solid yeah. and strong still, still Liverpool squad team, yeah. Um, to still have shining moments like Jaden Sancho uh, dropping <sighs> Milner and Dude. then freezing Van Dijk, yeah. dropping Allison as well, open net to have Marcus Rashford finally show up on the score sheet after like I don't know half a season of, yeah, of appearances. All that is positive, and all that builds towards something. So sure. maybe this is the performance they need to get out of that deep ass hole yeah. that they dug themselves in. <laughs> Well, what do you think about Liverpool, man? What did, what did you see out there? Just, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's... What uh, would you see? It's just very reminiscent of that season where we had so many injuries. It's two things for me. Yeah. Two things. And I think one of them really reflects what a lot of the Liverpool community believe is that we did need another midfield signing. Okay. We shored up the offensive line with the Darwin Nunez signing, which was huge for us. Um, and defensively, we've also shown that we can... We at least have some reliability back there with Van Dyke usually being very uh, healthy, very fit. Yeah. And then Matt Tip and Gomez rotating out that center back's position. It's not really back there where I'm concerned, but it's in the midfield, man. Because, yeah. I mean, the, the starting lineup of Milner, Henderson, Elliott, to me, two of, two of those three guys can be rotated out. And yeah. when you're competing against the likes of De Bruyne, Silva, and Rodri for the title, yeah. that ain't going to cut it, man. Yeah. At all. Yeah. You need players like Fabinho, Thiago, Naby Keita. Where are all three of them, man? Tiago's <laughs> yeah. injured. Keita's like not fit, apparently. He's never fit, Yeah, though. he's never fit, he's though. He's never fit. He's never fit. Yeah. And then Fabinho's kind of coming off of a rocky start to the season as well. Yeah. It's yeah. really interesting to see what's happening to the Liverpool, Liverpool squad, but it, it really shows you how important that midfield is to the overall engine that is Liverpool's insane unit. Yeah. yeah but it kind of shows how fickle this Liverpool squad is when... Things don't go when right. One thing, when yeah. one player, when one crucial player leaves or yeah. is injured, and you think about it, man, the that experience of Mane, 
that experience mm-hmm. of Mane who you know he's going to fight. Yeah. For the course of 90 minutes, you know Mane would just go at players, even if it's even if he's having a bad game. Yeah. And you all of a sudden, you don't even have no. that option. Mm-mm. Gone. Mm-mm. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that part, that, that does sadden me, especially today. I really felt his presence missing today. Yeah, man. I yeah. really felt it. And um, what, what does bother me the most about Liverpool is that we've, we've gone through this where injuries racked up for us. And that was the excuse from all Liverpool fans, including myself that season, <laughs> that we yeah. were just like, hey, we were injured. Yeah, like and three right, rightly so. starting like center backs three, out. Yeah, yeah. That's the center back situation, and then up front, a lot of injuries as well. But we should have learned from that. Mm. We, don't, we can't use that same excuse now. Yeah. We can't say the same thing. And it's... And it sucks because we've been spending money in the transfer market, but maybe it wasn't in the right places. Yeah. I'm we a did. little disappointed in this start now. Yeah, I know yeah. last week I wasn't as scared, but now. this was actually a big game for me where I was like, okay, we need to get these three three points. Yeah. Manchester United is down on the ropes right now. Yeah. Finish them off, and the complete opposite <laughs> happened. Yeah. The, Manchester the United looked like Liverpool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope that by next month we can start to see these players get back into the rotation, and maybe then – the Liverpool of old comes back up, and this can all be chalked up to just a slow start to the season. Yeah, because I, I, I will say, out of all the players on the injury list, most of them are, you know, a couple weeks, maybe a month or two. Mm-hmm. None mm-hmm. of them are like yes. six months to the rest of the season, right? Yeah. So you're right. Maybe you maybe you have a shaky five six games, which is a lot. But 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 hey, maybe it ain't, maybe, it maybe comes yeah, back. Maybe it ain't our season for the league. Maybe it's just Champions League this year. Yeah, but let's stay in the Premier League. And let's stay on the topic of managers. Oh, okay. okay. Because for like the past year or two, the the term Graham Potter <laughs> yeah. has become like a buzzword for me. Where that last name of Potter is starting to get associated with like tactical genius, with yeah. next one up. Innovation. With innovation. Mm-hmm. The new kid on the block. Yeah. And I've been keeping an eye on him. Yeah. Right? I kind of just keep in my peripheral vision, seeing what he's been doing with Brighton these past couple of seasons and seeing that it's been really good, right? I've just been I've been pleasantly surprised. I'm like, okay, sure. There might be something there. Well, I saw the game of uh, Brighton against West Ham. Oh, okay. Right? And uh, Brighton, once again, got, got a sound victory over a West Ham team that is also off to a very, very disappointing bad start. start for really West bad Ham, start. man. And... While watching the game, I was like, man, I got, let's look into this Potter guy. Let's do it. Sure. Finally, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give this guy the attention that... Deep dive that, on Grand Potter. Let's do a deep dive on Grand Potter. I'm like, where did this guy... Where did he come from? Yeah. Right? Um, Grand Potter. He coached in Sweden for eight years. He okay. started coaching in 2011, where he coached fourth division squad Ostersund. Okay. By 2015... He had them promoted to the first division. Yeah. Interesting. Right? Dope. Dope. First time in that club's history yeah. that they had ever been in the top flight. Yeah. So huge. That's already a that'd be if I if I was coaching, that's all I achieved. <laughs> that'd be pretty damn good. <laughs> that'd be pretty damn good. Did yeah. that in, in the World Cup's time, four years. Apparently during his time there, while he was coaching the Swedish squad, his um his antics and his way of coaching his team really became apparent in I guess footballing culture, uh, with players stating that he would have them perform in theatrical and musical productions uh, to get them out of their comfort zone and to improve their play on the field. Oh, yeah. like not be in your head, essentially. Yeah. yeah just yeah, the yeah. idea just of be being free. on a stage. Yeah. Because yeah. we've, we've associated football to just the, uh, entertainment. Entertainment. Man. True. And they're, so, they're entertainers, footballers. So, you know, f- fully dive into that role. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting start, right? <laughs> um, they went to the top flight, and I think. The two seasons that he was there, he 
at the first thing we they finished like in eighth place. Second time it was like is either fifth or tenth. Okay. Um, but the biggest thing that they they managed to do was they managed to uh, win the league cup in 2017. Oh the wow! Swedish league cup, and through that victory they qualified for the Europa League qualification stages into ah, yeah. the group stage, right? Okay. And so they had to win like three different rounds to get into the group stage, which they did. Wow. They go to the group stage and they actually tied against Athletic Bilbao mm. for first in the group. Athletic Bilbao had the better goal differential. Sure. So they got second. So Graham Potter's already in the Europa League somehow with this Swedish squad, wow. right? Just guiding his boys there. They then get knocked out in the uh, knockout stages of the Europa League by Arsenal, no. but they had won their first game against them 2-1. <sighs> they then lost 4-2 in the next match. Yeah, yeah, that, that's happens. fair. Happens. But it was through that performance that England came calling, right? Come back home. England was like, well, okay, let's call one, let's call, let's get our boys back home. Yeah. You're right, you're right. <laughs> let's get them back home. Swansea specifically. In 2018, Swansea calls him up to come coach the squad that's in the championship at this time. Right. And during his time there, he didn't do anything overly um, impressive in the league outside of implementing a really influential playing style. Uh Um, There's a stat that during his time in the championship, Swansea had the most passes per 90 minutes in the whole league. Okay. So that kind of gives you an idea of like, okay, he was implementing a style of football. Yeah. The most fascinating thing he did there was that he took Swansea to the FA Cup quarterfinals. And they faced off against Manchester City, which you remember, this was a matchup that I remember talking to you about when it happened. Uh, they went up 2-0 on Man City. Mm. In the last 20 minutes, Man City scores three goals with the Sergio Aguero winner. Mm. Man City wins, they progress, but Sw- but Potter once again. Yeah, yeah, impressed. Impressed. At the very least. Did a lot with what he had, right? Yeah. So Brighton comes knocking, right? Mm. They're knocking on the door. Hey, <laughs> Premier League squad Brighton knocking on the door now. Hey, is, is Potter home? <laughs> and Swansea, uh, based off of this analogy, was like, no. Oh. Swansea didn't want to let go of Potter. They wanted to keep Potter. Like, uh, Really? Yeah. They actually saw him being a guy that could build this team yeah. over the course of five years or yeah, something? Yeah, they saw the potential. And, wow. And they even went so far as to offer Graham Potter the highest wage in the championship oh uh, for a coach. Oh, God. Just begging him to stay. So but well, then what happened? I think Potter finally was like, hey, man, like, it's my time. Yeah. It's my time to go. Right? Yeah, Brighton, yeah, it makes sense. It's Prem. Mm-hmm. It's Premier League. He's done a lot of work leading up to this. And he, alongside all of his staff from the Swansea team, move over to Brighton. Yeah. And he joins Brighton in 2019. And what proceeds is pretty impressive. Once I looked into it, their first season, they uh, accumulated a record-breaking, franchise-breaking, club-breaking point tally of 41 points in the Premier League. Okay. And then they backed that by doing the same exact thing the following season. 41? 41 points again. Um, And then... After that, the third season for Potter was his past season where he once again broke the point tally record by accumulating 51 points throughout yeah. the whole season. Well, Brighton had that hot start that last hot start. year. And one. honestly, they started great this yeah, year. Man. Maybe yeah. even better. Maybe not record-wise, but <laughs> yeah. I think they're actually playing better, better right now Potter. than they played uh, yet last year. And so that's that's what I'm getting at is that just like uh, – that 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 wizard from the fucking movies, <laughs> Potter's the chosen one, man. <laughs> <laughs> he can do no wrong. He can do no fucking he can wrong. Do no dude. wrong. I I'm on board. He hasn't. Yeah, you're right. He hasn't truly had a bad 
year in management. Yeah, yeah. every year there's one. been progression. Every right. year he's been working towards something more. Wow. And I'm just like, when does it stop? You know, there's people talking about him potentially replacing Southgate either oh, before yeah. or after the World Cup, but uh -huh. being the next big guy for England's national squad. He'd look good he'd coaching look really England, good. man. He'd, he'd look, look really, really good. good. Or, you know, there was there was an opening with when Manchester United was was looking for a manager. Yeah. People were mentioning his name as well as potentially Modern. that that team. But it's just interesting because you see how he started off this season. Brian lost crucial pieces, man. Yeah. You would think. You would think to the average manager, those are big pieces and Cucurella, Bissuma, yeah. just gone. And what he's done now with what he has, I mean, you can just see it in like you said, like in how they play. Yeah. There's something special about the style of play and the way that each player just buys into the system. He maximizes their positions. He makes the most of them. And they just got this fight in them, man, because yeah, they do it to Manchester United. They do it to West Ham, and then they get a tie against Newcastle. Not a single loss yet, unbeaten. Mm -hmm. And it's just a great, great start. Yeah. And so I'm just like, man, hats off to you, Graham Potter, man. Like, yeah, bro. I am on board. This guy's the next big thing for me, man. Yeah, what has impressed me so much about Brighton has been their scouting. Getting Potter, and I guess credit to him because he does have a very specific style. He, he searches for very dynamic players, but he's on a budget. So he gets, for every dollar he spends, he makes the most out of it, man. Because the players that he has, Alexis McAllister, Trossard, McAllister, yeah. uh, Moises Caicedo now, who's mm. finally coming onto the scene. And they had scouted him a couple years ago from Ecuador, which was insane, uh, yeah, insane are, to get. He's only 20 right now. So that yeah. means he was like 17 when he yeah. was like, I want that guy. Exactly. <laughs> and he understood the potential. He was there last year like w with the bench, never really got minutes, but now he's featuring starting every game. And that just shows you how, how good of a coach Potter is because he doesn't, he doesn't waste time. If he wants yeah. a player, he brings him in, and he's going to be a part of that squad. Yeah. And then, you know, they had players like Mark Cucurella, Ibisuma, again, just great, great scouting system at Brighton. That's what's really impressed me because they just get these players that are so, so dynamic then play really, really well together, and it just fits this fluid style of football that Potter likes to play. And I'm so happy that it, it actually culminates into success. Yeah. Like, it's actually working. It's not like like when Swansea had that one really <laughs> good year in the Premier League. And they were yeah. playing fluid football, you know, dazzling, having you know, high-octane offensive football. And then it just really petered out, mm -hmm. like, pretty quickly. But Brighton, man, they've been able to maintain a good level of play. And right now, it only looks like they're getting better. And again, I guess credit to Potter because that has to be what it is. Yeah. An excellent coach. And you're right. We, we got to start giving him more credit. Not that he isn't getting any, but let's give him that credit and let, let's keep an eye on him for yeah. sure. Yeah. I'm just so impressed, man. So impressed. And hey, I personally would like to see him in the England National Squad. Yeah. I would like that to be his next move, man. Yeah, that'd be insane. I, but I, I want to, low key now, I want to see what he could do with his Brighton team. Like, what is right. the peak, right. peak right. Brighton? Is it like fifth place? Which would be insane. That'd be crazy. That'd be insane. Any sort of top six. Yeah, any sort of top invade, six. Invasion would be yeah. ridiculous. And I just want to see him reach that peak with Brighton, and then he can go wherever the hell he wants mm. to. I just want to mm. see peak Brighton under Graham Potter. Show me what that looks like, and then I'll be happy. Let's go and start with the Tottenham Wolves game. Oh, We okay. had Tottenham Hotspur yeah. play against the Wolverhampton Wanderers. <laughs> and a couple takeaways. I'll start with Wolves. Yep. Uh. First takeaway, and it's one that you actually mentioned last week or maybe two mm -hmm. weeks ago. Truly, 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 
Wolves do not have a finisher I'm whatsoever. Saying, man, I want to print out on a shirt like this could Wolves be, can't finish. Get, Wolves <laughs> can't finish, bro. This is like one of the things I'm going to be saying the whole season, man. Yeah, and it's insane because it's not to say they don't have talented players. You know, uh, Podense, mm-hmm. Aitnuri as wing back. You have Pedro Neto, the new signing Mateos Nunes. Mm-hmm. You have all of these players who are offensive minded. Juan Chan off the bench. Yeah, Gonzalo Guedes. Gonzalo Guedes now. <laughs> you have, yeah, which is, again, a good signing. Yeah. These are, they have good players, very talented. Neves, yeah, yeah, very offensive minded. But when it comes to actually putting the ball into the back of the net, none of them actually have that quality. They're all good dribblers. They're all good passers. They're all good footballers. You know, they can build a play. Actually, that's one thing I will praise about this Wolves team. Their build a play <laughs> is actually good. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. They know how to build a play, and they can do it against anybody. Problem is, it ends there. <laughs> they have no one to go to at the end of said play to actually shoot and finish. And the only guy that they do have is Raul Jimenez. And actually, he's great. Uh, Jimenez has unfortunately just keeps getting these knocks. Mm-hmm. He keeps getting these little little knocks that you know keeps him out of the game for a couple of weeks, and then he comes back in, tries to find his fitness. But I think, in my opinion, when Jimenez is fit, he's fantastic. He's excellent, yeah, especially in that Wolf system, man. Especially yeah. in that Wolf system, yeah. he just understands it really well. Again, there's so many midfielders behind him; he's going to be fed, and Jimenez can take those chances. He is a good finisher, but if Jimenez is having a bad game, or if he's not playing due to an injury. Wolves literally have no backup. They have no response to when Jimenez is not playing. And ultimately, it bites him bad, man. Because it's, yet again, another game where Wolves play well and lose. Or don't get the result that they probably should have deserved. Yeah, and this is a big one where they could have gotten a point out they of this. They could have gotten a point at the very least. Yeah. And again, their movement is great. And I would say the bigger takeaway I have, for me, Ruben Neves, man, one of the best facilitators of the ball, I think, oh, in the sure. league. Specifically facilitation. The way he knocks that ball around, he, he can basically do it all from the center yeah. of the field. He's a quarterback, essentially. He, if you needed to fling, fling a ball over three defenders, he can do it. You need to do a cross-field switch, he can do it. You need him to do a little one-twos tight football, Ruben can do it. You need him to get offensively involved, be a threat from 20-plus yards out, Ruben Neves yeah, can do it. in him. And a through ball, incisive passing, Ruben Neves can do it. As a passer, he is excellent. And that, that's the thing. When, when you need a player like that, he's excellent. But again, he doesn't have really anyone to go to. That's the thing. Sure, he can go out, way, he can go out wide to Neto or Adama Traore off the bench. He can do that, and he can find them in space, and they go at it. But again, it ends there. Yeah. They cross it in, nobody's there. They try to find a play, interconnect with somebody, they get a shot off, they don't have the ability or the finesse to actually finish it. So Wolves are in a really sticky situation, I think, because, again, they have such good players. Again, I think Guedes and Nunes um, from Valencia and Sporting, respectively, excellent signings because they're very offensive-minded. And Guedes actually had a great game. He was going at uh, Davison Sanchez, just going at him, being a nuisance, driving, penetrating, looked good. But his, he's never been a finisher. He's never been a guy that's going to score, hell, even five goals a season. That's not what he does. He penetrates, he wreaks havoc, and that's it. The Wolves badly, badly need another finisher alongside Raul Jimenez. Yeah. And they're hoping that Mateos Nunes is that guy. Not sure if he will be, but they're really, really banking on him being that guy. Damn, man. So, a, yeah. That's, that's, even if, and if he's not, that's a lot of pressure to put on Raul, man. 
Oh, it's, it's way a lot, too much. bro. It's way too big of a responsibility to put on one player. <laughs> one player, bro. I know he will thrive and he'll continue succeeding like he has been, but they, they need that backup. They need that that, that that's that person they can rely on outside of Raul Jimenez. And it's funny, man, because they're relentless, man. They're relentless in how they play. They, they've made good moves everywhere outside of the striker position. Yes. And it's so funny because... They become their name, man. Once they, once they got to start finishing, wolves start wandering. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> and so I'm just like, God damn, man. Like, fix this shit. And it's, the reason it bothers me so much is because the finishing is legitimately atrocious, It's bro. bad. It's, you it's watch the highlights. Poor. You watch the shots. It's really, really bad finishing. Not even on target half the time. Oh, half the and time. And this, this game represented that fully. I remember yeah. watching. I was like, holy shit, man. These guys can't even put the ball, like, in within Yoris's range. Mm-mm, mm-mm. It's, just, it's just being skyrocketed. Yeah. For me, I think Ruben Neves has been at this team for five years now. They picked him out when he was young, and Wolves were still in the championship. They said, hey, Ruben, we got a project here. We're going to get you Mm -hmm. to the Prem. Come play for us in the second div, and you'll be a star. And I think he's been loyal. He's done that. He's played. He got them to the Premier League with them. He's played in the Premier League for these past couple years. He's been the go-to central midfielder for this team. I think... It's time for Ruben to go to a better team. Mm. I think he has the skill level. He has the know-how to basically fit into any system. Uh, I, I want to see Neves at a better team. Mm. And I think he's run his course for Wolves. Sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think he would go off at a team that really needs like a, a, a facilitator, man. A guy underneath yeah. an offensive line that just stays oh, deep yeah. and spreads yeah. balls put him on arsenal yeah no put him on arsenal, arsenal replace jaka hell, with him hell even united could have used oh him. yeah united oh, yeah. could have really used yeah. that put him underneath bruno fernandez ronaldo sancho mm-hmm. uh sancho elonga rashford man neves would have a field day with a team like united and he gets the job done for wolves but there's no end product yeah. you put you put neves on a better team he will go off so i want to see that so for me, I hope this is Neves' last <laughs> year, bro, at Wolves, and I want to see him on a better team. That's my last takeaway on Wolves, man. I hope it doesn't man. end up being the last year of Wolves in the Prem, man, because right mm. now they're in that danger I don't know zone. how they're going to score, bro. That's the thing. I don't know how they're going to score. That's the thing. And even when Raul Jimenez comes back, like, I'm talking, we need a multitude of goals here. As for Tottenham, so far, I feel like they've played at the same level every game so far this season. They have a lot of fight in them. They have a lot. They're, they're relentless. They do not let up on both sides of the pitch, defensive and offensive. But it's not scintillating football. Not yet. It's not maybe what we had hoped, mm-hmm. knowing that Conte's yeah, been here for a while. He had a whole preseason, a whole offseason. He brought in some pieces, Richarlison to, to note. And I don't think Tottenham have gotten into uh, full gear yet. I don't think they're firing on all cylinders yet. And this, yet again for me, was another game where Tottenham looked very good. They looked dominant, probably deserved the win, but they didn't dazzle. They didn't dazzle, not the way that City has, not the way that Arsenal has. Hell, I, even Chelsea, for me, has had more maybe dynamic moments, if you will. I will say the biggest thing for me about Tottenham is that backline is solid. Really, really solid. It's going to be really tough to beat. Uh, it's going to be tough to beat this Tottenham team. Just off of goals alone. But I kind of question it going into this season, man. It's the same front three, Kane, Son, and Kulusevsky. 
And for me, my take was they haven't proven themselves to be a dynamic offensive line. They can score, especially off the set pieces. Harry Kane's one of the best finishers. You give him a chance, he's going to score. But I I don't know. For some reason, I thought that Tottenham would give me a little bit more, more. A little bit more. And I think... I won't even criticize the offensive. Like I think for me, it goes down to those two central midfielders of Hoiberg and Betancourt. I don't think they're offensive-minded enough. And there was one moment in this game specifically where Hoiberg gets the ball. They're on the counter. They're breaking. He has, I think, one guy to his right, two guys to his left. It's like four against three, four against two. They have the numbers. Ivan Perisic is wide on the left, wide open. Hoiberg never sees him. And eventually, a Wolves player catches up and steals the ball. Damn. Yeah, man. If there, and that's the thing. That's not Hoiberg's game. I don't blame him in that moment because that's not what he does. He's not an attacking midfielder. He's not looking for a through ball. Mm-hmm. It's just not his game. So ultimately, I think that's going to hurt Tottenham, man, in the long run as far as title contention is concerned. I think that non-dynamic midfield that they lack, ultimately, yeah. I think it's going to hurt him. Because, yeah. like... I, I don't know. When, when you're playing against teams like Arsenal, Man City, they have it all on all ends. They have a solid defensive line. They have dynamic midfielders, but they also have defensive midfielders. And then they cap it all off with an insane, insanely talented offensive line. Tottenham almost have that. Almost, yeah. Almost. almost. I think they do lack a certain amount of creativity when it comes to their midfield play. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I completely agree with the midfield take. Offensively, I don't think they're struggling. Seven goals in three games, I think they're perfectly fine offensively. But we won't see the ultimate dynamic version of that offense without, like you said, a good midfield that you can rely on offensively. That ain't there. But the reason I'm not that bothered by it is because they're getting results. They are. And that's what's they're confusing getting results. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so even though you're left wanting more, maybe it's a good thing that you think this team can actually has a higher ceiling than what they're doing right now. Because some teams will get the results and you'll be like, oh, this is the most they can do. But Tottenham, you're already, you're already seeing room for improvement, areas where they can get better in. Ah. And you're seeing ways in which they can maximize their talents and their roles. And that could potentially lead to them becoming a team somewhat like Manchester City. They're on their way there. Yeah. I think Tottenham might get to that Arsenal level later on in the season. I think Arsenal just got there quicker, man. Yeah, Holy yeah, shit. For, for sure. Because, yeah, they, they got a great system in place, and we'll talk about them later. But Tottenham is on their way there, and so I'm not, I'm not concerned yet as long as they're getting the results. Yeah, I, I'm actually glad you brought that up because my ultimate takeaway of, uh, from this game, as far as my Tottenham perspective is concerned, is that maybe I need to rethink how I think this, ta- how I think this Tottenham team plays. Mm. Yeah, because maybe I'm expecting something like Arsenal. Maybe I'm expecting something like like a peak Chelsea. Maybe I'm expecting something like a Man City, right? Yeah. Um, but maybe they're never going to be that. Maybe they're going to be Antonio Conte's Tottenham Hotspur team. A whole different style, a whole different brand of football. And as you said, it gets results. It may not be exactly what I think it should be, right, by maybe adding in a dynamic uh, attacking midfielder. Maybe Conte doesn't want one. Maybe he thinks it wouldn't suit his style of football. And I actually could see that, especially knowing the way that Conte likes to play. Mm-hmm. Conservative at the back, but has ruthless finishers up top. It can get the job done. I mean, he did it for years with Juventus. Mm-hmm. Kind of with a very similar system, if you think about it, when you look at the personnel he had back in Italy. So, come to think of it, when I think about it like that, 
maybe this is maybe this is the version of Tottenham that's going to be very very successful. It just might not be to my personal liking. <laughs> yeah, so fuck you, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's my ultimate takeaway is that I just have to rethink how I view this Tottenham yeah, absolutely. team. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, so I, yeah. so I'm I'm willing to be open minded yeah. here. Absolutely. Yeah, because the if the results were opposite of that then yeah you would have right in thinking like that but yeah. because he's doing it man i'm just like there's something there that we don't know yes yet. and so sometimes you just gotta be uh you just gotta be open to it and see what happens one squad that's really pissing me off bro squad that's really pissing me <laughs> off man is fucking chelsea dude and here's why i refuse and i've accepted this now i've accepted it after this week i have accepted it. this is fact for me there's no way that Pulisic, Havertz, Sterling, <laughs> Mount, yeah. Ziyech, there's no way that these guys should be struggling as much as they are right now to score a goddamn goal, man. Bro. And you know who I'm putting this on? I'm putting it on genius tactician Tuchel, man. Tuchel. Something ain't right in his system, man. Yeah. Something There's a leak. There's a leak in his oh, fucking, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the fucking <laughs> in the twos, man. Something <laughs> ain't right. Because how is it? That these talented offensive players that cost millions, millions, are unable to find the back of the net as often as the defenders are. Koulibaly getting on the score Bro, sheet. Bro, Koulibaly getting on the score Reece sheet. Reese James getting on the score yeah, sheet. Yeah, 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 yeah. What is it with this shit, man? And now they go up, they go to, to Ellen Road to face off against Leeds and nothing. Nothing, Zilch. man. Nothing. There's mm -hmm. nothing inspiring there offensively. They can't find the back of the net. They're struggling to score goals against Leeds which I respect highly, but yeah. just the idea of these players being so talented and unable to find opportunities and get that finishing accomplished. I mean, we were hopping on wolves for the finishing, but Chelsea, true, Chelsea's true. nearly as bad in some cases, man. I'm just getting kind of tired of this. I'm getting tired of the idea that Chelsea needs to sign that, that killer striker mm. to solve their issues. Cause they shouldn't need is what you're yeah, saying. I don't think the, I don't think their issues are, are, I don't think the issues are up front. I think it's, Tactically, okay. I think the way that Tuchel is setting this team up yeah. isn't beneficial to those players specifically. Instead, it benefits the wingbacks a lot, and in some weird cases, the center backs for some reason. <laughs> they just fucking thrive yeah, they, they, on it. They his, find space off set pieces for sure. Rudiger was a monster last year, scoring long range goals for Chelsea yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, like was. it's really weird how that happens. And so I'm I'm on Tuchel's ass right now, man. Yeah, I'm on his head, dude. Uh, that's actually a good take because now, if you want to make that comparison, it's actually very similar to Wolves. Now that you think about it, because you have a lot of diminutive second forwards, if you will, like you said, Sterling, Havertz, Pulisic, even add in Ziyech if you want to, Mason Mount to an extent too. None of these guys are necessarily direct wingers. None of these guys are direct forwards. Mm -hmm. None of these guys, are especially, are number nines. And so at the end of the day, you have good footballers, but it's leading to nothing. So I guess the only person you could blame is the manager because he's just not setting them up correctly. Yeah. It's either that or it's a mental thing. Something's going on with this Chelsea squad that maybe is just going on behind the scenes. Maybe, maybe there is a rift between the players and how Tuchel's trying to coach them. Something's off. You're right. You're right. Something Something's is off, off because off. the team should be, should be firing on all cylinders yeah. because they've been playing with each other for so long. Yeah. The only really new addition is Sterling. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And so like, as far as an offensive unit is concerned, this is close to the same team that won the champions league. Yeah. It really is though. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it is shocking that all of a sudden they can't find the back of the net. I don't know what it is. I get, for me, I'm just going to blame mentality as far as 
going into the season, not really getting anybody, losing Lukaku, losing Werner, maybe losing a little bit of faith in the manager because Tuchel just couldn't get either of them going. He just couldn't. Um, so I don't know. It's definitely yeah, a mental lapse yeah. going on at Chelsea. Yeah, but Leeds, bro. Yeah. Leeds, man. That one just made me happy, oh man. Oh, my God. I was just so happy to see uh, Leeds, first of all, at home, that beautiful crowd, and then just go off on Chelsea, man. Yeah. It was beautiful to see. Put a goddamn man. smile on my face. Yeah, yeah. The, it, it really was so did. energetic. It was uh, so raucous over there, man. Yeah. I love how Ellen Road gets when, when they're high on themselves like that. Holy shit, man. It's an atmosphere. And it's funny because... Aronson looks like he could be one of the fans in the stands. <laughs> Bro, he's so passionate. He's so fucking he's, he passionate. He cares so much. He looks much. like he was just called upon mid-game. Like, that's the most hyped fan we have. Come on Put down him on. for us. <laughs> and you see the goal he generated was just straight out of, straight out of the... Straight the, hustle. Straight hustle. Aggression. Straight want. And just wanting to just get that ball. Just trying it out to see what happens. Mendy just shook. He got got. Got got. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Steals the ball and just open net. I love the way Jesse Marsh celebrated that goal, man. Yep. That meant everything yeah. to him. Because he, he, you know he told yeah. Brendan, don't stop running. Yeah. Don't stop running. And it culminated into a goal. That's a true. goddamn yeah, goal. Kind of shit, yeah, that kind of shit starts off with the coach right there. Yeah, that like, starts off with the coach. It's a philosophy goal. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also, I think what it meant for Jesse Marsh, I mean, he was criticized a lot for, for being signed by Leeds to be the, the next head yeah. coach. And he was under a lot of pressure right off the bat, um, trying to get this team out of relegation right off right when the, right when he got hired, getting them out of that situation, and then to have them here now where they haven't lost a game yet. Bro, and bro, they have seven points. Seven points, man. Yeah. That's really, really impressive. And you can and I and I saw that come to fruition for for Jesse Marsh. He's like Thank God I'm already not having to worry about relegation. Yeah, you know? man. Yeah. I get to be comfy for a while. Now he gets instead of focusing on like what am I doing wrong, he's like, all right, how do we how we can get how can yeah. we get better and how we can yeah. get three more points? Yeah, that's such a different dynamic to think about, man. man. Different. <laughs> and you have players like Rodrigo with firing like a, a yeah. hot start to the season. I think yeah. he's already on three or four goals. Yeah, I think he has four it's goals, man. man. I was looking at his stats, man. I had no idea he was already 31. Oh yeah, no, he's crazy, was, bro. He was, most of his career has been with Valencia. Yeah. And he had such a good career in Spain that I thought him going to Leeds, he would score a lot, but his play was good, mm -hmm. but he wasn't really scoring. Not the way that he used to back with Valencia. He's gotten off to such a good start this season, yeah. man. Yeah, such a good start. Yeah. But Leeds in general, man, one thing that hit me actually last week when I was watching them, four MLS-based uh, staff involved oh, no way. On, on this team so you have jesse marsh new york red bull coach mm -hmm. now coaching leeds united on the pitch you have philadelphia union brendan aronson yep you have new york city fc jack harrison oh shit yeah 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 and then you have new york red bull tyler adams yeah so four mls player mls based people all being completely participant in leeds united wow it's insane mls babies four Damn. That's a lot, That's man. That's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, yeah, yeah. Imagine if that happened with Liga MX. I was just thinking. Imagine. Yeah, is, is, does that even, is there even anything close to that right now in Europe for Liga MX? I don't think so. I'm not close so. to that, man. Nah. Not like that. Nah, not even two. Hey, did you know Javier Aguirre is at Mallorca right now? I saw that. <laughs> he, he coaches the <laughs> no most idea. random Spanish teams. Yeah. He, he really likes coaching over there. Yeah. He they, loves and it. they like him a lot, too. They do. Like, like when there's a vacant spot. 
He's probably like one of the go-to. If it's a mid-table team, yes. he's like one of the go-to managers. Yeah. And he just rotates between them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he loves that shit. The other Premier League game I caught, dude, this weekend was Manchester City against Newcastle United. Oh, shit. What'd you think? One of the most entertaining games I've watched in months. Months. Fuck. Dude, I sat down. And I, I blinked like twice, <laughs> and the game was over. It went by that we quick. I was that entertained. Holy shit. Dude, it was one of the most high-octane, end-to-end games of football I've seen in a long time. So I, I just want to thank Newcastle United, Manchester City Premier League, for entertaining. It's a good product right there. The owner oh, of the Premier League is like, that's a good product. It's a good oh, bro. My product's yeah. doing good right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're part of that Premier League board, you're like, that's what yeah. I'm talking about. That's why we're the best league in the world because Newcastle United just took it to Manchester City, bro. It's an incredible game. City got off the board in the first five minutes, and at that point, I was like, ah, it's over. Yeah. Because after they had scored, beautiful cross from Bernardo Silva, excellent finish by, guess who, Gundogan, one of the most like sneaky midfielders in the yeah, box that you man. can imagine, man. He just finds his way every time. And at that point, City just kept going. I was like, ah, they're going to get a second. They're going to get a second, and it's going to be over by the 15th. But Newcastle responded like no other. They, Callum Wilson, wasn't it? It was... Uh, oh, no, the first goal was uh, Almiron. Yeah, the first goal was Almiron, but even prior to that, it's like they it's like they didn't get scored on. It's like they weren't playing against Manchester mm-hmm. City. They're like, we're Newcastle United. We're here at St. James's Park. Let's go off. Let's play our football. And bro, Alan St. Maximin went off. He's a dog. He went off, yeah, man. Dog, man. Uh, I've never seen him play a better game. Every touch he had on the ball, every dribble he had was beneficial to the whole of his God, squad. Damn. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was, he was just fire. nonstop penetrating, but he's one of those players that's actually faster with the ball than without it. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. The top speeds that he gets when he has the ball at his feet are remarkable, yeah. man. I love how direct he is, he's man. He's so direct. He's not shy about it. No, 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 no. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like He just went at Kyle Walker. He just went at him. He did not care. He just cut inside. And I, I, lo- I love the way he plays, too, because when he knows he has just a little bit of space he points to where he wants the ball and then the, the midfielders give it to him he's like he right, here, very, yeah, right here very physical physical with dude he's it. so yeah, physical he, with he the tells way he you plays. where he wants to goddamn but yeah you're yeah, right I I that. and i love watching that play because it's just style yeah that's just style right there and he couples that with actual insane skill but yeah he put on one of the best performances that i've seen him play because you know a lot of what say maximum does is a lot of penetration and a lot of uh chance creation yeah. but today especially he was getting those chances off, and they were actually going to players who were yes. wide open. He, he was actually penetrating, creating space for another player. And City couldn't deal with it, honestly, a lot of the times. Like, if he burnt Walker, or if he burnt uh, Rodri in the midfielder or, oh, yeah. or Stones at, at center back, there was usually a player open that Maximen could find. Yeah. So I was like, damn, he's being really efficient today with his offense. So impressed with him. No, he got the assist on that first goal mm-hmm. against Almiron, or with Almiron. Penetrates down that side, cuts back, whips in a ball. Almiron scores it with his fucking thigh. And I was like, okay, game on. 1-1, one, yeah, one, yeah. let's go. And then the, the, the rest of the game was just, it was more of that. And just nonstop, Joe Ellington was on it. Even Joe Willock, who I think is kind of the weak link in that Newcastle midfield, he was looking pretty good, pretty offensive-minded. Bruno Guimaraes mm. was just, 
so mm. passionate, man. The kid from Atletico Paranaense back in Brazil, and he looked like he was from Newcastle United, man. <laughs> he was screaming out there. Every goal that Newcastle scored, he was just like kissing the badge. <laughs> he was like pumping his fist in the air. He was like, damn, he cares. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and you could see that like, Maybe he like always had always dreamt about being in the prem, yeah. and he's living out yeah. his boyhood dream. Yeah. And I was like, "Damn, that's that's special right yeah. there." He had an excellent game, and then they get off the mark with uh, Callum Wilson yeah, getting that, that I awesome love, second goal. I love that. I love that goal, man. The touch, the, the initial touch. touch to put stones off of his balance because yeah. he was going the other way, and then the finish. Like it was like a three-toed, almost toe poke type of almost finish. a toe poke type of finish. Yeah. yeah, perfectly goes into that right side of the of the goal and. He just goes, he goes nuts. The crowd goes nuts. Nuts, nuts man. dude. And another assist from St. Maxwell. Mm-hmm. Perfect inside penetration. And the weight of that ball. It looks simple, man. But he's going at top speed. Yeah. Going at top speed. He lays the perfect ball to Wilson. Beautiful goal. Crowd goes wild. <laughs> it's 2-1. Newcastle have turned yeah. it against the champs. Yeah. They turn it on their heads. Second half. Little foul. Top of the box. Let's 20, go. 23 yards out. Karen Trippier, ex-Atletico Madrid. Ex-Colchonero. Ex-Colchonero steps up. This is what he does. This is what he does. And he just slides it home. Side net. He does the opposite of what most people do. Instead of going directly over the wall, he goes diagonal. And it catches Ederson off guard just for a slight moment. And the free kick itself was so perfect. Side netting, goal. We've never seen Ederson make a save. (laughs) That's true. This is one of those football conspiracy things. (laughs) I feel like we've never seen him make a save. Yeah, no, beautiful finish. Beautiful Beautiful finish. Love a good free kick finish. Crowd goes nuts once again. Yeah. Jesus, man, what a packed stadium, too. Oh, my God. You notice that? It's just not a single empty seat in that stadium. I'm moving to Newcastle. (laughs) (laughs) I want season tickets, bro. Holy shit. 3 1. 3 1. And at this point, there's 30 minutes left. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, okay. This is looking really, really, really good. I truly, in that moment, in that moment, I thought they're gonna pull it off. But then, eight minutes later, maybe even five, Holland gets on the board, yeah. cross over the top, goes deep, bobbles a little bit, finds its way to Holland, and Erling puts it home. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, yep. this is Manchester City. Yep, this is Manchester City. New Newcastle yep. playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Manchester City. Yeah, yeah. City. This, this ain't no. This ain't no regular team. Yeah, and once that second goal went, I was like, oh, okay. I was like, there's mm-hmm. 25 there's minutes a left. Lot of a minutes lot left. of time left. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, anything goes now. Yeah. Like anything yeah. goes. Eventually, they would equalize with, bruh, an insane bruh. ball. From genius <laughs> maestro Kevin De Bruyne, what the fuck was that man? Megged Willock. I, he, he, I know. When embarrassed I, the boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That he, he exposed him so badly, so badly in that spot. Man. He was just the sole player in that position. Yeah, gets megged on the way to the fucking beautiful finish from uh, Bernardo Silva. From Bernardo Silva, but that pass, man. That pass. I know. I know. It's it's genius when I'm watching it. From a, you know a wide camera view, oh. and even I don't see that pass coming. Yeah. When I see him send that ball, and I'm like, for a second, I'm like, where's that ball going? Yeah. And then I see it actually end up at a player's feet. I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, man. Because yeah. once you're on the field, it's a different fucking game. Oh, you know, bro. You don't see the same you shit we see. see. No, no, no. And he saw that, bro. <laughs> he really saw that. He saw it, bro. And with the 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 confidence and calmness that he sends that ball in, like he knows it's he gonna know. work. Oh, God, it's weird now. He's like ascended. His game has ascended another level where a lot of his moves. He, he does with the confidence that he knows it's going to work. Yeah. And that's when you, I think that's a special, that's a special 
um, phase that players go through. You see it with Messi at times Ooh, too. Yeah, where like, yeah. There's just, just confidence. It's just, they make it look so, so easy to the point that you feel like you can do it. Yeah. And then you try it and you realize, holy shit, <laughs> yeah. these guys are fucking legends. That's legends. why they can do it. And their brain is starting to enter that phase, man. I think so. He's having that's an insane perfect season. Way to describe it. Yeah, perfect way to describe it. Because at, at, that, after that moment when that pass went off and Silva put it through, I was like, I was like, De Bruyne, man, like De Bruyne, I, I'm gonna miss yeah. you. Like I actually got sad. I got really sad because I'm like, yeah. I gotta catch every De Bruyne game. Like now. I, I, I have I, to. This is what I've just seen is pure wizardry. Yeah, it's, it's a magic player on at his highest level right at now. At the highest yeah. level, one of the true greatest passers of the ball. Yeah. I think yeah. maybe we've ever seen, and we just have to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll be catching me at every city game just to see Kevin now. I swear to God, man. Yeah. I can't. I can't miss out anymore. Yeah. I can't. Uh, but yeah, three, three, and honestly, at that point, I thought they're gonna win it. I thought they were gonna go on and <laughs> beat Newcastle, even though Newcastle were up three one at one point. Surprisingly, Newcastle started getting a little chippy. It's a good move on their part because they break up the game. Uh, they frustrate City a little bit. City just can't really get that flow going, and it ends 3-3 in what was, for me, one of the most entertaining games I have seen in a long time. But that's what's crazy, man. The Premier League, second week, Tottenham-Chelsea, insane yeah. game. Yeah. Third week, Manchester City-Newcastle, man. Yeah. Like, they're producing these insane games week in, week out. Oh, my God. Masterclasses, man. Yeah. Amazing no, really, stuff. It really is. So, shout out to these two teams. Bro. Shout out, bro. Shout out. Newcastle, I think you're going to have a good season, man. If they play like that... I think Newcastle can actually do some damage and get towards that upper mid table, bro. Like truly, yeah, I truly. I would love to. I would love to. They still haven't lost, I think, this season. They man. haven't either. Yeah. yeah. Ah, God damn, man. Yeah, man. The weaker teams in the Prem are starting to become so much stronger, man. Even those yeah. mid table sides are looking really, really strong. I tune into the AFC Champions League. Vissel Kobe, Iniesta's old side uh -huh. versus Yambuk FC from uh, South Korea. Korea. So you got a Japanese versus Korean matchup, quarterfinals. I looked into the whole AFC Champions League system, which is really interesting right now. Yeah. It's like regional. Yes. Right? They like to turn one winner from one region and another one from the other. Think of it like uh, the NBA or the MLB yeah. or the NFL. There's essentially two leagues. The winner of one league and the winner of the other face each other in the final. Yeah. It's like Eastern Conference, Western Conference. Right, right. But what's crazy is that they're deciding, this region is deciding their winner this week. Whereas the other one won't start till like January or February or some shit. Mm -hmm. It's insane. Yeah. That's like the biggest gap <laughs> between getting to a final and then playing it. Yeah. That doesn't happen anywhere else. You're um, right. You're right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's six pretty months, fucking insane. Yeah. That's six, seven months that you got to wait. Yambu completely uh, dominated this game, but they were actually uh, not on the front foot. Vsel Kobe came out firing in the second half, mm. took the lead 1-0. Yambu immediately responds with a beautiful goal from... Uh, they're forward from Gambia, uh, Barrow. Yeah. Barrow comes in and just an incredible finish. And throughout the whole game, I was like, holy shit, man. This guy, like, is is a is a threat in this league. Oh, yeah. This guy is is dominating. He's amazing. On the ball, he was he was always finding open spaces. He was just constantly putting pressure on defenders. And it just had me thinking, like, man, the impact that a foreign player can have on a league, bro. Yeah. Because you get the right foreign player, oh. and that guy can just ruin all ideals and morals and values that those players had. He was not playing like the rest, man. No, but no, But he was no. dominating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And likewise, you also have Gustavo, the Brazilian, um, on the right wing as well there. And they actually combined because the game went on to overtime, to extra time, and uh, Yambuk took the lead 2-1 off of a beautiful assist from Barro to Gustavo's head, finish up 2-1.
all those South Koreans come and just fucking yeah. congregate around them. Get, yeah. They're so happy around them. Like, Hell oh, yeah. shit. Nice. Finally, the game in like the last minute, in the 120th minute, keeper comes up, tries to get his team back into it. But it's a corner kick. Yambuk counters and they actually end up scoring off of it. So 3-1 the game the game ends. Yambuk was by far the better team in this match and they face off against Urawa Red Diamonds in uh, the regional final. So oh. it was cool to get a little glimpse of where those guys were at and just what was going on over there, man. Dang. That Korean Japanese touches not yeah. to be taken lightly, man. Oh, no, 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 yeah. You know, obviously watching so many leagues across the world, I'm, I always have fun with the idea of like, um, of like diversity of players in different leagues. And, you know, specifically I was watching African Champions League last mm -hmm. year. And I, so I saw a lot of Egyptian football. I saw a lot of like Moroccan football. And I was like, damn, Mexican players would have so much fun in the Egyptian league. Ooh. Because similar to kind of how you describe Korea, the Egyptian, uh, the Egyptian league is actually a very technical league. They kind of emphasize passing more than scoring, honestly. Same with Morocco. They really emphasize buildup. And if you could just insert a Mexican winger, that would add a lot more flair. And that mm. would just add a lot more offensive prowess mm. to, their, uh, to the whole like, offensive unit that these Egyptian clubs mm -hmm. have. Because one of my biggest criticisms of like, Egyptian and Moroccan football is that they kind of lack that, that finishing touch. The passing's really good. The, the technique's really good, but there's no flair. There's no, there's, there's no finishing. There's, there's, there's no like true goal scorers, if you will, coming out of Africa. But if you were just to insert like these offensive Mexican-minded players that would come from like Liga Mex and put them in Egypt, they would combine a, a Mexican and an Egyptian to make like a really good team. <laughs> Bro, send Antuna up there, man. Yeah, send man, him like, up there. I yeah, think stuff he, like that. Yeah, get him up there, man. Get him involved. I mean, you got Orbelin Pineda in Greece. Yeah, Maybe that's a there similar you go. Type of thing. That's a similar type of thing. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm talking about. Like, because it's just different styles of football, mm -hmm. and you bring them together. Maybe it won't work, but sometimes when it does work, man, it can be deadly. Mm -hmm. You 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 bring together two cultures, two different ways of playing. You bring them together. It can really stun the rest of the teams that don't have that. Kind of like how you just described with I guess this Korean and Japanese yeah, team man. with those two foreigners yeah. just going off. It's it's, it's so drastic how yeah. different and styles they were, but also how that played a role into them ultimately winning the game. Like right. that was a difference maker, right? Was that, that they signed these two guys mm -hmm. from outside of the country and they ultimately combined to score the game winning goal. I was like, holy shit, man. Yeah. You make the right moves as a, as a front office person, you see the talent, and if you do it right, man, it can win you leagues. It can win you potentially a Champions League, bro. <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And it's, these are guys that have kind of been, I guess, lost within the scope of footballing in their own country. Like Gustavo, who knows what was his journey yeah, when he true. got to this. Or Baro, too, like in Gambia, how he ended up here. Yeah. But it's cool how both sides kind of kind of win by this, right? One side benefits from it, from then getting trophies and accolades. But the other guy's benefit in getting a bigger role bigging yeah. getting, get also getting trophies but also just kind of getting the opportunity to become bigger than themselves versus what they would be in like exactly. a, a bigger or tougher league yeah where they, they'd be a little bit more low-key you know yeah, so, yeah absolutely my kid is any good at soccer bro send him to I'm korea sending his ass to korea man. <laughs> <laughs> oh he'd love it man they got good yeah. teachers over there <laughs> another off-kilter game that i saw if you will uh, and I say off-kilter because it's outside of the top five leagues in Europe and it's not Mexican League or MLS. I saw Portuguese soccer. Oh, shit. Portuguese league game. It was Porto against Sporting. 
Oh, whoa. Yeah, whoa, yeah. Whoa, whoa. I saw that lineup on the schedule and I was like, let me catch some Portuguese football. Let me see what's going on over there. And yeah, and let me see. Let, let, let me just do a little little scout report okay. on the Portuguese players that we might see, you know, in, in come November time yeah. for the World Cup. I was just like, let me get an update real quick. And I was excited because, you know, when you think about top three teams, you think about Benfica, Porto, and Sporting. No, not in any specific order, but you Braga? do. <laughs> you do the, <laughs> like really pushing for Braga? The line is... <laughs> Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. As, as far as like the big three, yeah, you think yeah. about those teams. So I was like, I was like, great. We got Porto Sporting. Let me let me tune in. Let me see what's going on. And from the get go, it was all Porto, just the whole ninety. Sporting had spells of good possession or spells of maybe they looked like they could maybe get a cross in. That's it though. It was all Porto. They did not let Sporting breathe, bro. It was. Bad oh, from whoa. a sporting perspective. Like, wow. Porto dominated wow. this game. It was actually very impressive. I was like, damn, okay. Looks like <laughs> sporting's out of title contention, man. Cause <laughs> they, they, and I was a little disappointed, I'll be honest, because, you know, they do have good players. I was excited to see Marcus Edwards finally get this big money move to a sporting. I'm like, okay, good. This is where he can pop off as a player. Couldn't get going. Couldn't play this against this Porto defense. You have, like, cool wingbacks like Pedro Porro. Big mm. fan of him since he was at Girona. He didn't really get going. Really, no one got going for sporting, man. Mm. And I was just like, damn. Mm. Man, that just sucked. But from Porto, looking yeah, really who, who good. This year? Really good. Yeah, so I wanted to highlight a couple of players. Players that we, we know before. First one, maybe not so much. Diogo Costa, the goalkeeper for Porto. Mm. And I've been noticing that Fernando Santos, the Portuguese coach, has actually been starting him a lot in these past couple games. Like, I yeah. think he played against Macedonia in that yeah. big uh, uh, decider. So... A, an interesting point uh, will be for Santos will be, does he go with Rui Patricio, mm. the veteran mm-hmm. keeper, or does he go with this new guy, Diogo Costa, who's having a really good season with Porto these or, past couple um, years? Jose Sa. Jose, Jose Sa with Wolves too. I'm going to start him, man. <laughs> no, but that, that's <laughs> I'm my, a big Jose Sa fan. That's man. my takeaway, though. Costa, good goalkeeper. Oh, Catch shit. a Porto game because... Okay. He, he looks completely confident in between the sticks, man. He actually had two really, really good saves where it was like point blank. He had to react quick, get down low, and he did it comfortably. And I was like, I don't know if Patricio can do that right yeah. now. I don't, I don't know. So maybe like maybe Patricio is, has maybe a higher IQ, maybe. But uh, Diogo Costa is a really good shot stopper. That's what this game told me. So if you're a Portuguese coach, you have good options for goalkeepers right now. Really good options. Second player I wanna that I wanted to highlight, and it's one that we all know and love, center back Pepe. Mm. Bro, he has mm. not missed a beat God since leaving Real damn. Madrid, bro. He has not missed a goddamn beat. He plays with the same fire that he had when he was 19 <laughs> years old, bro. And that, that's the thing with Pepe, man, is that it's just in his blood. Yeah. That, that fire, that violence, yeah, honestly. It's not, it's not that a I, choice. It's not a choice. It's not a choice. He just no, is that way. If there's if he has a spat with an opponent, he will wish a hundred years curse on their family. <laughs> he will look at them in the eye and say, I hope, I hope your kid yeah. drops out of college. And then, and then he'll plead with the ref being like, I didn't say anything. Me? I, he'll plead with the ref pleading his innocence. And then he'll shake the players. Yeah, he'll dab like, him up. He'll dab him up. He'll be like, hey, I didn't mean it. And then with a little smile on his face. <laughs> That's Pepe. And he'll do that all of this man up. Five minutes, man. He's insane. He's mentally insane. Yeah, yeah. But you need that. Yeah. And it almost makes, it's almost poetic justice that a guy like Pepe and Sergio Ramos played together at one point. Bro. It's insane that that happened because they just they see the, they see the game the same way. Yeah, yeah, they really yeah. do. 
I saw that in this game against boarding. Pepe just, he loves defending. He loves yeah. it, man. Yeah, he lives for this shit. He lives for it, bro. So as far as your starting center back for Portugal, you know Pepe's going to be in there. 100%. But isn't he near him 40, Regardless bro? of the age. That's what's like insane. 39? That's the thing. Yeah, he's old, bro. Oh my God. But that, that's he a, might be the oldest player at the World Cup. He might be. I don't know but, who else will be older. But he's damn good. That's the thing. So for sure, Pepe's going to start no, no matter what, I think, for Santos damn. at back. And then another guy that, I, that we highlighted when Portugal played in their World Cup qualifiers Otavio. Mm. Oh my mm. God. I cannot praise this the guy janitor. enough. Go the off. janitor. He's a utility man. He can do anything on that pitch. All you have to do is ask. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and he'll do it. Yeah. He was fantastic, man. Drawing fouls, looking like Jack Grealish at times, just dribbling through players, creating chances, one, two, inner combinations, long balls, through balls, mm. he, he getting, uh, playing out wide at mm -hmm. times. Or when he wanted to get a little more creative, mm -hmm. he'd just stay in the center. Waiting for the ball, looking for the ball. I just love the way that he plays the game as a midfielder. Yeah. And he had he had an A plus game, looked fantastic Sweeping. out Sweeping. there. Sweeping across the nope. pitch. I think he actually got the assist on the first goal. Um Dirty, uh, dirty boy. Otavio, uh, bro. Dirty, yeah, dirty man. boy. And I hope and I know he will. He will feature at this World Cup, yeah. and I hope he goes off, man. I hope people who don't really get to see him that much, other than maybe Champions League games, mm -hmm. I hope that he goes off this tournament, and he will. If he plays any, if he just plays his game, you're gonna see that Otavio is just—he's class. He's pure class. So he had an excellent game. Ultimately, culminated in an easy win for Porto. Dang, what was <laughs> yeah. the score? It was three 0 Three 0 okay. really, really easy okay. win for Porto, man. So, so Porto Benfica this year. I was gonna say Porto Benfica, although Braga did just get a big, mm. big win. So maybe yeah. that third team isn't sporting this year. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's Braga. Yeah, we'll they, see. They made big summer moves with the inclusion of Diego Linus, <laughs> who got his assist this week. He came off the bench. Yeah. yeah, came off the bench, got an assist. So. That's good, man. Meanwhile, Marcelo Flores got 70 minutes in Real Oviedo's game, okay. second game of the season, the second division of Spain. So sure. Come on now. Yeah. But hey, speaking of FC Porto, why don't we talk about, I, I wonder if he's considered a legend there. Probably not. But a really damn good player for FC Porto, um, Jesus Corona. Oh, God. Jesus. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to go talk there. about this. I didn't think it was going to go there. My, my transitions have been harsh today. Oh, I've been just... transitioning hard today. Yeah. We're transitioning over to Jesus Corona, mm. who has been um, declared unable to be at the 2022 FIFA World Cup from Mexico through an injury. Yeah. He won't be back till like December. Mm -hmm. Mexico loses one of the most important wingers. Oh, yeah. And we must talk about what this means for the squad. Going forward, as we near this World Cup, man, it's right around the corner, man. Right, right around, around the, the corner. corner. He was one of the mainstay players for us this whole process. Mm -hmm. Really not losing his spot when no. needed. No, no, no. And he's gone. <laughs> he's gone. He's gone. He's gone. Yeah. Um, I was really, really sad when I heard the news. Because just in, in general, out of the 32 teams, there's always one star whether it's a Ghanaian player, whether it's a Portuguese player, whether it's a Korean player, there's always one player that gets injured right before the tournament. Mm. One star player. Mm. And this time it fell in Mexico's lap. It's Corona uh, is, is the injured so player. Yeah. So far, and that's the thing. Yeah, this it, might be the one, yeah. It might, it, it might be one of many. Ones. Yeah. yeah, but I, I think this is a big one, especially when you take it in context. Yes. Mexico's front three, as we've, obviously said a lot, a lot on this podcast has been a little stale. 
these last, let's say, 18 months. And missing out on a guy like Corona is just not going to make the job easier for Martino. It's just not. Because at the very least, Martino could pick his front three and then mess with the rest of the team. Right? Yeah. At yeah. the very least, he says, Corona, you're starting. I don't have to worry about you because you just do your thing. And at the, at the very least, it'll benefit us in some yeah. way. Now that's gone. Now he has to actually think, who is going to be my best replacement? Because I, I don't think it's apparent, honestly. There might be some clear choices, but even then, are they going to give you the same thing that Corona, that Corona could give you? Maybe. But it's going to make Martino have to really act here. I think yeah. he's going to have to make a big, big decision. Who is going to be a part of that front three now as Corona's replacement? Personally, I don't know. I think it's Alexis Vega. I think it's Alexis Vega. He's the most similar playing style. He's to the him. most similar playing he's style. He's more informed than any other potential nominee. Yeah. Yeah. Not is that simple. Yeah, I think it's just Alexis Vega. But uh, and, and what I do like about Vega is that there is a potential there. There's a chance for something special to happen. Um, whereas the other players that could be nominated for that spot, like, I don't know, you could maybe say Linus, I guess. You theoretically could. Antuna, you could say But Antuna. we kind of know what these players are already. Right. And uh, I just don't have the comfortability that I would have with Alexis Vegas right now. He's playing well for Chivas, man. Yeah, he is. So. You know, absolutely. But I just think at the end of the day... It's not good enough for no, me. Right. That's, <laughs> That's what, what I'm getting at. Me, That's what I'm getting at. I just spoke for a full minute. And, <laughs> just, and I'm not convinced. It's not good enough, yeah. I'm just not convinced because... I feel like no, truly, no matter who you put in place, I I just know deep down it's not going to be as as good as Corona. Maybe I'm proven wrong on the day. Maybe, Maybe I'm proven wrong when they play against when they play against Poland when they play against yeah. Argentina and Vega comes on, starts the game, and just has the game of his life. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, you know what? Maybe that freshness was needed. Yeah. I'm not going to discredit that idea, but just solely from preferential tactical point of view. I would, I'd go Corona 100 out of 100 times. Like, mm-hmm. I would never even consider Vega if Corona was healthy. Mm-hmm. So, for me, that's why I'm just like, shit, this, this is a big blow. Mm-hmm. For me, this is a huge blow for Mexico. What hurts a lot for me regarding uh, Corona is his story, man. Because I became a big fan of Tecatito when he was at Monterrey, mm-hmm. right? Making a name for himself. And then being one of those Mexican players that made the move to Europe pretty early in his career and made himself a home over here. Was successful. Was successful. Yeah. Really good, successful career in in Europe. And more so, just kind of the kind of player he was shaping himself up to be, especially on the international stage. He's had many good moments with Mexico. Uh, You were there live when he scored that banger against Venezuela where he took on like four or five players. Looked like a Mexican Eden Hazard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Breaking through the defense. And I've always been a fan of him, man, because he was a youngin'. I was like, okay, this is like... Kind of like, kind of like a, a similar Chucky-like approach where it's like the hope of a nation lies on these kids' shoulders. Mm-hmm. And you can rely on him for that. He's very good at creating chances. He's skillful on the ball. He's got flair. And, uh, I mean, he's got even that, that, that kiss, kiss ah, tattoo on his yeah, neck. He's yeah, a little playboy, yeah. <laughs> right? So he's a, he's a character. Um, but then the World Cups came, 2018 specifically, and he didn't really start. Not as much as you would hope for because at the time it was Vela, Chicharito, and Lozano starting, right? So this World Cup to me was building up as Corona's prime chance to have his spot solidified on the Mexican national squad. Mm -hmm. You look at his age and I think he's just around the age of 30 now. He's getting close to it. Yeah. yeah. So he's in his prime. Yeah, this is a really good phase right now. Yeah. And when I heard the news, I was like, fuck, man. Mm -hmm. He just lost that. He lost that. And I, I know that's what's hurting him probably the most right now is the fact that this is... Just a chance. If, if he's back 
in 2026, it'll be a much different Corona, man. Oh, Especially with the, 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 how he relies so much on speed, acceleration, yeah. on uh, his ability to get past players. That's a tough thing to keep four years from now. And so oh, overall, yeah. from his career arc, that's what hurts me the most as a Tecatito fan. And then you throw in the fact that this actually is detrimental to the Mexican national squad yeah. holistically. Double down on that And I'm like, sentiment. God damn it, man. Yeah. This sucks. This really does suck. I'm hoping that for the best for Tecatito, if you're out here listening to the Big <laughs> <Rico> podcast, <laughs> yeah. I hope you're doing good, man. But in the meantime, I do think the best replacement right now is Alexis Vega. And I'm not so down on that because... We do got to have a realistic viewpoint on Corona. Corona's great, but he also, for me, is a little limited at times in, sure. in what he can achieve. You kind of know what you're getting with Corona, Corona nowadays. There was a time where I would watch Corona and I wouldn't know what was coming. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I kind of do know. I kind of do know. He can get you that assist. He can get you a goal. Um, his finishing can be a little wacky at times. Can be, but It can be pretty yeah, wacky. But his chance creation is good. A guy like Alexis Vega, I don't know yet. And that's kind of, and right, I'm big right. on that. I'm big on the idea of a player of not knowing a player fully. So you give them a chance to show you if they got that, if they got that dog in them, if they got, yeah. if they got that, that, if they have that ability to just pull something out of nothing. Right. I think Alexis Vega might have might that. Have that, that, might that, have, that X factor. Because he's pulling something out of nothing every goddamn week <laughs> with this <laughs> trash ass Chivas squad. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's something there for me. Okay. No, yeah, I'll, I'll believe you on that. And the thing is, I have seen it. He, he yeah. does pop off for Chivas for sure. I just, I don't know. I question the moments on the big stage. Yeah, but and sure. I also question if that will we even start him to. True, true. I like, who, truly, who, who, truly, who, who is, that, right, who is Tata actually thinking about? Yeah. When he heard the news, he's like, okay. Linus? I, I mean, I really do wonder. I really do wonder. Yeah. So, yeah, when we see that team sheet, maybe in the friendlies, in the buildup, I'm curious to see who's going to be out on that right wing, man. Yeah. Really curious. Yeah. That was a great question. You know what? I've been criticizing Tata so long. Why don't I just make my ideal starting 11? If I was coaching the Mexican national squad, ah, who, who would I start? You know, I'm tired of just harping on Tata, you know, and I want to put myself in that position. Man. Put matters into your own hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, bro, while I was doing it, I was like, oh, God damn it. This is actually a lot tougher than I thought. It's not so clear cut. We'll start the goalkeeping situation tough tough moments man thinking about if it's worth it to start Ochoa or if you should go in with a young and like Acevedo right mm. tough because Ochoa's getting up there man no he is He's getting up there in age and I started really thinking about it and it's reminding me a lot now of the situation Mexico had the goalkeeping position in 2010 oh. when Mexico I think it was a. Uh, Javier Aguirre, I think that was the coach, decided to start Conejo Perez, who was like 38 at the time, man. Mm-hmm. An aged, washed-up Conejo Perez starting for the Mexican national team when you had an in-prime Guillermo Ochoa, who was like 23, 24 at the time, or Osvaldo Sanchez, who was right. like 30. He was at Santos during that time, mm-hmm. I think. You had great options, but he chose to go with Conejo. Right. And I'm kind of getting a similar, not as exaggerated version right now sure. with Ochoa. Yeah. Because I love what Ochoa's done for the national team. I love what he's done. I love what he means to the team. But when you think about it, man, he's done this twice now. He's given us two magical goalkeeping World Cups. I just think it ends there. I think the hope that he can do it three times <laughs> <laughs> is way too much considering that he's a goalkeeper. His age does affect him a little bit. It does. And I just haven't seen 
the flash that I used to see in Guillermo Ochoa, I don't see that anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I look over at the complete opposite. I look over at Acevedo, who when I watch him play, he may not make the most amazing saves, but his energy, man, mm. I love his energy. Mm -hmm. He looks happy to yeah. be goalkeeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks yeah. like he looks he looks energetic. He looks aggressive. Always he looks ready. like mm -hmm. he's got like a the jitters, and I love that. <laughs> yeah. He looks so so ready for any moment. When I think about just kind of where these two players are at in their careers, I actually want to go with Acevedo, man. Quick counter. The only reason why I would I personally would definitely pick Ochoa is because out of all the positions on the field, if you have room for experience. If you have room for a veteran presence, my first pick is goalkeeper. And Ochoa, as you just listed, his numerous accolades at, on the biggest stage in 2018 and 2014. He is the epitome of what it means to be a Mexican veteran for this Mexican national team squad. So if I'm Martino, I'm saying I need that veteran presence 100%, and I'm going to get that if I start Ochoa. And he's, he, 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 knows, he, he, he knows the ropes. He knows what it's like to fly to a country for a World Cup. That's true. He knows what, it, he knows what it's like to, 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 <laughs> to go yeah. to sleep a night before a World mm -hmm. Cup game. He knows what it's like to wake up, yeah. get into a training session, and then ultimately go out and sing that Mexican mm -hmm. national anthem. He understands that. I understand that. Yeah. He understands I that. that more than anybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for that reason, I can't start anybody else over Ochoa for that reason. But none, I, I get what you're yeah, saying, though. Not under my reign. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get it. You could it. be Ochoa's agent right now. And I'd be, <laughs> I'm sorry. Not under my squad. I understand. For me, though, the most secure spot in this whole national squad is actually at the center back position. Oh. I think there's no question here that Cesar Montes has to start for the Mexican national squad. If you look at every other position, there's still some room for options, for alternatives. For me, there's no other choice here. Mm -hmm. he's, he's all we got. Right. We actually haven't lost with him in the lineup, surprisingly. Mm. Um, and I think he is the go-to move there. Joining him, partnership. This is one I had a tough time with because I just can't find the proper partner for I, him. I agree. I just can't. I can't. Um, I look at Araujo, and I just I see too many flaws. I look at Hector Moreno. I see too much age. And so I end up having to go for the player that has managed to stay in the Serie A for two seasons now, Johan Vasquez, who hasn't impressed me. Hasn't really done anything that has really taken me aback. Yeah. But for me, it's just the best we have. It's the <laughs> best that we can offer. So let's go with that. Joining them on the wings is that it actually gets a little bit more fun. There's a lot more options here. Um, but I gotta go with the Ajax. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The Ajax stud, uh, Jorge Sanchez yeah. at right back. That one for me was pretty uh, I think easy that to one's, pick. Yeah, solid. yeah. And then on the other side, I'm going with Arteaga, who's had a good start to the season in uh, Belgium with Jenk. Yeah. Uh, leading them to first place in the league. So mm. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's let's go. The, yeah, the, yeah. the 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 top left back in the Belgian league. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why not? Midfield is where it gets tricky, man. Okay. It gets tricky. And as of right now, under Reynoso's tenure, under Reynoso's tenure, right there, pinned in the middle of the of the midfield, I have Edson Alvarez. Alongside him, Eddie Gutierrez. This one's up for debate. And on the right side, I actually had three nominees. <laughs> I had the two Pachuca midfielders, Chavez and Sanchez, potentially up for grabs. Okay. And uh, Cordova. Who ah uh, yeah 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 who's yeah. finally playing a little bit better no, this season with with Tigres? He's solid. I'm talking about the team that's gonna beat Argentina. Yeah. I'm talking about the midfield that's gonna take us to a, a quarterfinal. Yep. I, I, <laughs> I'm asking you to make up names now. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
I don't know if Chavez and Cordova can get that done. I really don't. Yeah. So if that's all we yeah. have, that sounds more dire than I originally thought. <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest. Martino's not going to give any of these guys true freedom. Not in the midfield. Yeah. They're going to play a specific role. And I guess when you think about that, Cordova is a guy who can play a role. Cordova is a yeah. guy who can, you, you tell him what to do, he can execute it. And he does have the skill set to play. I like Cordova in the midfield. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, if you notice, I completely left out Herrera or Guardado. Completely left them out. The thing is that I think that has to happen. I, yeah. For me, Guardado, I don't know hey, how to say hey. this non disrespectfully. <laughs> 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 he, he's done. Yeah. He's done. And one of the greatest Mexican midfielders of all time. Yeah. For me, probably one, for me, probably the Might greatest be, yeah. that I think I've ever seen in his prime. But as far as what we have right now, it's, we just yeah. can't. Yeah. And then for Herrera, not that he's actually lost a lot of, let's say, skill. Maybe he's lost a little bit of pace. But I feel like his IQ is still there for sure. Like, he can still play at the highest level, 100%. But if you think about... If you think about a midfield that's going to be dynamic, if you mm -hmm. think about a midfield that's going to break lines, that's going to be able to run against a team like Argentina, you, I think you need youthful midfielders. Yep. And Herrera, I don't think would be able to get. I don't think he'd be able to get that job done. My thing with Herrera is that I, I feel that he represents everything that's wrong with the Mexican national team right now. He's almost like, mm. you know how people say, like, the player that's like a coach on the field for a team? Yeah, yeah. You know, like how uh, you could say, like, Jordan Henderson and Klopp, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. I actually feel like Herrera is that for Tata. Mm. And that's bad because I don't like Tata's style. Style, yeah. And I feel like Herrera is almost like his 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 representation of, of, of the style of football he wants to implement into this national team. I think Herrera represents all of that. And I think that's why that midfield is struggling so much. So much. It's because of his presence more than anything. Yeah. And so hopefully he can shut me up and score a goal, big-ass goal in the World Cup, and have a moment to himself. But for now, I think he is the biggest problem, uh, honestly, in my opinion, yeah. uh, as to why that midfield can be so stale, man. If I really think about it, especially since you just mentioned Herrera, <laughs> Chavez and Cordova can be dynamic. They can play good, really, really good football in the, in the center of the park. They, they really can. The only reason why I'm just a little off-put by that is because uh, they just ha they've never done it before. They've never done it for Mexico oh, on the yeah. stage. Yeah. So you'd be asking a lot yeah. from both Chavez and Cordova to just be like, all right, you, I, I know I haven't really played you over these last four years, but you're here now and yeah. I need you to start and I need you to get us, some, get us results. And that's a lot to ask. But they, they, I'm not going to say they can't do it. I'm not going to say they can't do it, but it's, it's a big ask. It's a big ask. It's yeah, a big for ask. For a World Cup, it absolutely For is. a World Cup, yeah. it's, it's big. Yeah. Like if, if we had a year... If we had a year to try this out, I think it'd actually be a good plan. Mm -hmm. Like, let's implement a new, fresh Mexico midfield, and we're starting with Cordova and Chavez alongside Alvarez. I think you say that to me. Oh. You say that to oh. me. I'm like, oh, I like this idea. Yeah. Let's see where this goes. Yeah. But the fact that we're three months out, I'm like, eh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Finally, up top, for me, Lozano has his spot secured. Mm -hmm. No question. No question. Jimenez has his spot secured. Um, a little bit more questions there with... Santi Jimenez, Santi. If, he, if he finds his form, and Andy Martin, if he continues, bro, yeah, 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 then we might have to have that discussion. Mm. Um, and finally, I have Vega starting on the on the other wing with Linus behind him. If he, okay. if he'd like to, if he'd like, <laughs> if he, if he'd be open to it. <laughs> My ideal lineup for Mexico right now is Acevedo at goal. That's right. Jorge Sanchez, Johan Vasquez, Cesar Montes, 
Gerardo Arteaga, and then uh, it's insane that you're about to say these three. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. Well, I, I, it, 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 I, I'm gonna go with something a little safer. I'll go Cordoba, Alvarez, and then Guti. Uh, we okay. didn't mention Guti. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Uh, that's yeah. true. I will that's go true. Guti, uh, and then Vega, Jimenez, Lozano. That's what I would offer right now for the Mexican national squad. Let me know what you guys think would be the ideal Mexico starting eleven going into the World Cup, please, because. I know that mine already looks a little weird, so I want to hear what y'all have to say. I want to see if y'all's are similar to mine or completely different. As far as like, let's say backups to Tecatito or maybe even a backup to Vega, let's say. Mm -hmm. Let's say Vega does start. Um, one thing that has just been getting at me for these past couple seasons is the interesting potential of Tigres winger Raimundo Fulgencio. Talk to me. There are times when he comes off the bench for, bench for Tigres and looks incredible. He looks like maybe like a, a, a Linus when, he, when Linus was going out for America. And I see that and, you know, talking to you as an avid Mexican national team fan, I'm like, what, be <laughs> what better stage to kind of pop off at as a youngster than the World Cup? You said Mexicans love mm -hmm, to do that. Mm -hmm. And Mexico national team coaches have, have had the history of having faith in mm -hmm. a young guy to come off the bench just to try to add some energy to the game. And... If Fulgencio can maximize his potential, I feel like Fulgencio could kind of be that, if you want to, if you will, 12th man off the bench to when Mexico need just some sort of wing, like Vega's not cutting it. Yeah. It's 65th, 70th minute. We need a guy who does not care, a live wire. Fulgencio, I think, could come into play. He? I think he's 22. Pretty oh, sure okay. he's 22. Okay. But that's the thing is that, the, the only thing is, is that it's pure potential at this point. <sighs> it, it's, it's not proven. But what also sucks is that Fulgencio just can't get that chance in a Tigres team because Tigres always have these star players mm -hmm. as their offensive mm -hmm. line. So it's hard for anybody to get in that, in that winger position yeah. at Tigres. So it, it's, it really is tough to measure the true ability of Fulgencio. But like I said, when he comes off the bench and he just has one of those games, Fulgencio looks really, really good. Damn. And so from that perspective of... Do we have an X factor? Do we have an, a guy who's unknown, not proven, that could just come off the bench when we just need something? I feel like Fulgencio might have, but again, it's pure potential. He might have it, but again, it, it's a risk. But at this point, if you don't have Corona, why, why not try, try a risk like that? Yeah, yeah. That, I think that's what characterizes what Mexico fans think a lot about this team right now is that we know what the team that that, that currently has is. So that's why everyone's asking for, you know, mm. like a Chitarito or like Vela to come back and all these crazy ideas because <laughs> yeah. I think we're all in favor of just trying something out for the Change. sake of potential. This yeah. is such a clear ceiling. Yeah. And it's crazy that as a collective fan base, we all kind of feel the same thing. Yeah. And it's very frustrating. That's frustrating. So I'm going to be gone for next week. Right. I want to let the viewers know I'm going to be on vacation. Right. <laughs> going to go vacation on the coast of Portugal. The beautiful seas of Lisbon. And I'm not going to be here. So what I want to do, because we might not be able to get an episode out next week. Mm. So I want to make predictions now for something that might be true two weeks from now. Oh, okay. So for to start off, I predict that Real Madrid and Tottenham are going to end up in the same Champions League group. Okay. I'm going to predict that. Dude, that'd be so That'd be kind of cool. I haven't seen, I don't know if that'd I've seen that matchup. That'd be dope. Yeah. I, I want to see that now. Yeah. If it doesn't happen, I'm going to be a little yeah. pissed. <laughs> you got me way too high for yeah. that. Yeah. That'd be fun. I predict two weeks from now, Arsenal still leads the table. 
Ooh. Well, I got a little, got a little, well, little. Let's go into it. It's not even a take. So I have this fun little metric that I like to apply every season across the European the leagues. The salt stat. A little salt stat, if you yeah. will. There's no merit in it. <laughs> There's no statistical backing, but there is a correlation. Right. There's an interesting correlation, and, and the, the metric is this. If a team wins their first three games of the season, they become automatic title contenders. Not just, oh, they'll finish top four, or, oh, maybe they'll get third place. As They, they will vie for the title. And okay. across, across the top five... Uh, and They have to win. They'll win their first three games. They have to win, okay. Yeah, and the thing is, you could say, well, what if they have an easy schedule? That's the thing. That's why there's, it, it, that's what it's I'm getting at. It's a It's, it's, but there, again, there's a surprising correlation to it. If you start with right, the Premier yeah. League, the only team that is perfect, mm -hmm. and the only team that can be perfect right now, Arsenal. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because we both had Arsenal in the top four. I had them mm -hmm. in third place, and then you had them in fourth. fourth. But through this metric, now again, not saying anything is pure superstition. But <laughs> but I will back it completely. You're in then. <laughs> I think Arsenal and what's crazy is that the football is looking really good. It's looking really good. I think Arsenal are now for me complete title contenders. Oopa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I love it. I absolutely love it because at the beginning of the season, you know, we had covered, we said I, I truly thought it was just going to be once again City and Liverpool. I knew that Arsenal Tottenham maybe even Chelsea to an extent, mm -hmm. we're going to be right behind them, but I thought it was just going to be City, Liverpool. I'm not going to count Liverpool out just yet. I'm not. I think Klopp's too good for that. I'm not going to count them out just yet. But so if we still include Liverpool, City's definitely looking really good. I'm going to now happily add in Arsenal as a title contender. And I'm actually really glad about this because they're playing electric football. Elite football. Elite, bro. Yeah. They're looking absolutely incredible. So yeah, Arsenal... I'm getting excited. Hey. I'm getting really excited, bro. Yeah, yeah. Arsenal is ridiculous right now, man. Yeah, ridiculous. It's actually really crazy how uh, electric they've looked, mm -hmm. but how their playing style, man. Dude. It's a mini Man City, bro. But like even more dynamic. But, it, but in its like, own way, yeah. It, it's like City still had definitely have of. They, 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 there's definitely hints of Pep in the sense that like let's just hold on the ball for yeah. as long as we can, right? A kind of uh, a. a, a uh, Kind of an homage to that mm -hmm. 2010 Barcelona that Pep started, right? Pep likes that style of football. You see it with Man City. It's just a little bit more dynamic than years past because you have elite players like Kevin De Bruyne, right? Or you have a number nine like Erling Haaland, tricky players like Bernardo Silva, Riyad Mahrez, the mm -hmm. list goes on, right? But at the end of the day, it's a possession-based style of football. Whereas Arsenal, it definitely is possession-based because Arteta does like it that way, but... There's just something about it, like you said. Like I don't know what the word is, yeah. but there's something a little bit different. Yeah, maybe it's just more. Maybe it's like possession, but with a more direct attitude. Yeah, it's something like the, that. Uh, the off-ball movement. Yeah, it's weird, bro. When when <laughs> when someone's like near that box, when Odegaard's like around that dangerous area, it's like little weasels all around, just running all over, running, man. running like crazy, making insane lines so that Odegaard can just find them and feed them. Same with Jesus, the way he can just get by a player or two and then. Open it up to a different player is insane. His is dribbling is—I I haven't seen him dribble like this ever. Like I don't know where the hell this was at Man yeah, City. Yeah, for real. He's become like an elite dribbler all of a sudden, <laughs> and he's still a good number nine. Yeah, yeah. So like he just added this to his pocketbook. Yeah, it's insane. It's his hold-up play has really surprised me. He gets the ball pretty high up. Yeah, and then he just makes incredible decisions to progress the ball forward, 
And then to find himself in really good positions, that, that finish against Leicester was insane the other mm. week, man. We just popped it over the goalkeeper Damn. into the top corner. And then this week, he uh, he uh, essentially assisted the Martin Odegaard uh, rebound goal where yeah. he like got by two guys. Uh, I think he passed it off or he shot it. I think... I think he passed it off, and then that shot got saved, and then Odegaard scored. But that all started with Gabriel's pure with, penetration. With his penetration, yeah, it's, it's, it's stupid what he's doing right now. For me, the top four contenders as of right now, uh, in in this order, is Man City, Arsenal, Tottenham, Liverpool as of right now. But this is gonna okay. be we can do this weekly. I'll check back yeah, on it. Let's see and who it's like a little ranking. In. Yeah, who comes in? Who comes out? Brighton's Brighton, one week. <laughs> Brighton. <laughs> week eight, Brighton is like on top. <laughs> but for now, I think it's that. And I think that once I get the answer that Arsenal can beat a team like Chelsea, beat a team like Tottenham, then they're going up to the top, especially if they're already on top of the league table by then. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very open to this Arsenal squad proving me wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I'm excited to continue seeing them this season. Oh, bro, me too. Uh, another prediction I have is Palmeiras face off against Vélez in the final. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think that happens. Melgar makes it to the final. Oh, they beat uh, Independiente del Valle. Yep. I caught a Liga MX game this weekend. Uh, Monterrey against Tigres in uh, the Rayala Stadium, mm-hmm. BBVA uh, Stadium. Mm-hmm. I just want to say, for sure, 100%, the BBVA Stadium in Monterrey favorite stadium in mexico oh for real yeah yeah people love it man i love internet it, loves man. it the yeah photo, the photos i see from it week in week out are crazy crazy at the man. mountain just overlooking yes the, the scenery around it you yeah. get that culture of monterey as a part of the stadium and then and then the stadium itself is beautiful man yeah it's like a premier league stadium the 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 bleachers are right on top of the pitch there's no space wasted and then there's there's some nice angles it's almost like the Tottenham Stadium version of the Mexico, ah, man. Okay. It really yeah. is. It's like, in comparison to all the other stadiums, honestly, in Mexico, it's like futuristic. Yeah. And it's just it's just a beautiful stadium. Damn. The pitch is beautiful. The lighting's amazing. And when the crowd is lit, it is lit in there, man. And so purely from like an aesthetic visual point of view, my favorite stadium in Mexico. The game itself uh, against Tigres, stalemate, man. Fuck. No, neither team wanted it. Fuck. It was just one of those things where like the stars didn't align and like just every player was off, man. Really chippy game from the get-go. Nothing happened. Although there was one chance where El Diente Lopez almost scored goal the season, bro. Almost. It was like a 25-yard screamer. Hit the underside of the bar, but didn't bounce God in. Damn, yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn, that was it then. That was it. That was all that, that the night could produce. Yeah. All that game could produce. The rest of the game was just a bunch of nothing, honestly. Like, God damn it. It was just, it's just one of those games where it's just really tight. Neither team wanted to take any risks. Nil, nil, and both teams were like, yeah, we're okay with this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It was, a, it was an all right game. Dang, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, Monterrey's now on top. Yeah. That's what yeah. I was They're now on top. And that's the thing. I was a little frustrated because Monterrey have been looking great when they win. Monterrey look fantastic. You have a excellent signing, Rodrigo Aguirre, just looking like a bulldog up top. He's easily their new number nine, replacing Funes Mori, in my opinion. Replacing Janssen is even just from <laughs> relevancy yep. as, as far as that's concerned. So Aguirre has been an a, incredible signing for Monterrey, man. But even even he was just off. Gignac barely touched the ball. See, I was a, I was a little pissed because there's a lot of firepower on yeah. the pitch, but just nothing happened. God damn it. But, man. yeah, I mean, hey, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually asked our Instagram crowd before the account got deleted, I asked them this question, which was, 
of the past eight World Cups, mm. who was the best second place team? 2018 Croatia, mm-hmm. 2014 Argentina, 2010 Netherlands, 2006 France, 2002 Germany, 1998 Brazil, 1994 Italy, 1990 Argentina. Which of those eight teams is the best? And so I had a poll. I mixed them up. I made a quarterfinals bracket, and I had a poll that proposed to all our thousands of followers mm-hmm. who is the best team. And here's how, here's how it panned out. 2018 Croatia versus 1990 Argentina. 1990 Argentina took it, mm-hmm. which kind of hurt me a little bit, man. I thought people, I, I feel like people, I feel like that 2018 Croatia team hasn't aged well in uh, in footballing oh, memory. I think people, people have been, I've been kind of just run them off as like, a team that was just on a run, a team that was just like a Cinderella type of team, which they were in some sense. But there was a lot of talent that that meshed well that with that team, man. There's, the reason they were so good was so much chemistry was involved, man. Yeah. Not so much that they were lucky, but that they knew how to play with each other really well. Mm-hmm. And that deserves credit, man. So that kind of hurt me. 1990 Argentina, I didn't watch them, so I don't actually know. But right. based off of the Maradona documentary I saw, it did look like a fun Argentina team sure, that sure. ultimately couldn't win it. So they win that they win that matchup. Then it was 2006 France against 2002 Germany. And 2006 France took it in a landslide, which I was okay with because I'm big on the 2006 French team. Penalty shootout away from winning the tournament, almost had it, whereas 2002 Germany lost 2-0 to Brazil in the Mm -hmm. final. 2014 Argentina against 1994 Italy. Uh, This was a fun matchup that saw the Messi fans and the Argentina fans flood the pool and bring Messi home. 2014 Argentina won this one. But I also had a lot of people that watched that 1994 World Cup hit me up and be like, hey, man, that that Italy team was was fun to watch. They were fun to watch. 2014 Argentina goes on, leaving 2010 Netherlands against 1998 Brazil. The 1998 Brazil team lost to France 3-0 in France in that World Cup. Whereas 2010 Netherlands lost against the magical Diki Taka Spanish uh, right, side. Right. Uh, the voters selected 1998 Brazil to win that matchup. Okay. Surprised me honestly because I thought that football fans thought more highly of the 2010 Netherlands squad. Man, that team to me was so good. They were like the 2014 Germany team, just mm. as far as like how ruthless they were or just how organized they were. Man, I remember. All I remember, every I didn't like the team just from like a preferential right, point of right. view. So every time that they played, I just by default rooted for the opposing team. And every time I'm just like, we can't beat them. <laughs> we can't beat them. <laughs> and yeah, so that 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 2010 Dutch team was something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the names on that team: Van Persie, uh, Robin, uh, Schneider. Like yeah. you had them all at their peak. Dirk out. And they took it to that Spanish team too, man. Went yeah. to extra time. They oh, could they have won t- it as they well. They could have won and Robin it. Robin finishes that chance, man. man. Yeah. They, we could be talking about 2010 Spain in this bracket, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly, bro. <laughs> but the people went with 1998 Brazil. Sure. I mean, you got legends on that squad, so it's understandable. We move on. Semifinals. This is where it gets fun. 1998 Brazil against 1990 Argentina. Mm. Both teams that I didn't see. An OG so, like, is, <laughs> matchup. Yeah, an OG <laughs> matchup. Uh, <laughs> That I just, I have no idea what, I didn't see it. I was like three years old when Brazil played. So the winner was 1998 Brazil. It wasn't very close. So it was interesting to see that. Yeah. The Brazilians came through. The Brazilians showed up to the polls and they pulled Mm -hmm. Ronaldo's Brazil through to the final. Mm -hmm. And who did they meet? They faced off against the winner of my favorite matchup of this bracket, 2006 France 
versus 2014 Argentina. Mm. Think about it, man. Let's think about this. Of those two teams in a one-off game in the World Cup, who would win that matchup? Yeah. When I really think about it, dude, when I think about the the names, the, the players that surrounded each other, the way they all played, I can't help but think that 2006 France beats 2014 Argentina. Sure. Because for me, a lot of what Argentina did that was special was the one and only, the GOAT, Lionel Messi's performance in that tournament was in fucking incredible. Yeah. He had a good surrounding cast, but that was kind of it. It wasn't amazing Mm -hmm. like how the French surrounding cast was. Ultimately, took a team, an Italian 2006 squad, to the final. And so I'm just left thinking like, maybe it's just preferential, but I would have gone with 2006 France. Mm -hmm. The fans thought otherwise. Oh, yeah? They went with 2014 Argentina. I'm okay with it, just simply because of the one and only Leo Messi. I feel like that's just an argument you can always use, and and it's a fair one. I'll put my hands up to that one. That's true. That's true. (laughs) But you are right. Your your point is, in my opinion, completely correct. I I think Argentina, as a squad in 2014, probably not as well-built as that 2006 French team. 100%. But, yeah, I I think... it's Leo Messi, man. And I think that, that ultimately that's probably what came into play when that poll came out. So the final ended up with 2014 Argentina versus 1998 Brazil. Jesus. And you got to love a good Brazil-Argentina matchup no matter, oh, yeah, no matter, no matter what. what the context. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I was Ping actually pong. really intrigued because we have a big Brazilian contingent and a big mm. Argentine contingent following mm. us. Mm. And also I was like, okay, these two are about to go head to head. The poll ended up at 51% to 49% split. Oh, so the game would go into penalties. And essentially. Essentially. <laughs> essentially. Right. It's actually pretty ridiculous. The no, results. Win, no real winner. And it saw 1998 <laughs> Brazil come out on top. Sure. Barely. All right. Barely. The Give and Go viewers selected 1998 Brazil as the top second place team of the last eight World Cups. Yeah. And I thought that was a fun little thing to do because I was just wondering this myself. Though. I was like, huh, I wonder who it is. Let me just... Let me just try this out with our viewers. And it seemed like everyone got involved. Everyone enjoyed it. And so it was actually kind of cool because I got to learn more about each squad as well. So You know what's crazy, though? If I really, really, really think about this, probably the 2018 Croatian team is probably the best second-place team out of all the ones we just named. Probably. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Yeah. Whoa, nah. I think so. No. Yeah, because I think so. Why? Yeah, because simply because of – how do I say this? The true quality that that team had. Mm-hmm. True, true quality. Brozovic, Modric in the midfield dominated every game that they played yeah. in. Dominated. And then up top, you have probably the two most underrated players in Europe, maybe in these past like 10 years, and Ivan Perisic and Mario Mandzukic. Yeah, like, Mandzukic especially. Especially, oh my bro. Oh, God. Like, I, I, I don't hear anybody, yeah. anybody say anything about those two players. Good or bad, which is a good thing. Like, no one hates on these guys because they do respect how good they are. But, man, Ivan Perisic, I think, is probably one of the most underrated wingers of the modern game. I really do think so. And he was instrumental in getting this Croatian team firing. And then at the back, you just had you, you had good guys, Domogoj Vida, just doing the job that he's been doing for years uh, at the back for Croatia. And when you think about teams, when you think about an 11 that Croatia team was really, really mm-hmm. special, man. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really rely on any one guy. You could say Luka Modric, and I, I think that would be fair to say because he was instrumental in getting Croatia all the way to this final. 
But if I if I had to pit them against 2014 Argentina, I think Croatia win it. I think mm. I think I, not easily, but I think they're the better team. 2010 Dutch would be that'd be an interesting. I was gonna say one. to me it's not 2014 Argentina that's that's up there. No. For me, yeah, 2010 Netherlands 2010, is one big one. I'm big on that one. Now. I think that'd be that'd be a big big one. And then of course after that, when we talk about talking about the 2002, 98, 94, and 90, it really it really is hard for me to say. So I, I actually don't know how good that 98 Brazil team was. Maybe they're fucking incredible. Yeah. And if they were, sure, maybe they beat Croatia. But as far as the modern game is concerned, I can't see that 2014 Argentine team beating that Croatian team. I think the Dutch one would be interesting, but ultimately, I just think the Croatian team would be a little bit more organized, a little bit just, you know, just a little bit better, craftier. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I think that 2010's Netherlands squad would actually beat them because they emulate a lot of the French team that beat Croatia. They got a similar type of player in Mbappe and Robin, electric, dynamic. You got a sureness in the midfield. And that and you got that solid, solid Dutch defense that they're so well known for. I think that Netherlands would have took it to Croatia, man. Uh, a lot of the successful teams in 2010 actually weren't very prolific in front of goal. But what, what got them was the, their midfield and their defense. Kind of similar to Croatia, right? Croatia's offensive line was really effective, but they weren't goal heavy. That's ultimately why they lost against France because... France had firepower in every position. Mm -hmm. Pavard could score a banger mm -hmm. if he wanted to. Oh, and he did. <laughs> and, and, that and he, he did. did. That he did. And so I think that's ultimately why they they they, they would lose to France in 2018. But yeah, I mean that, that's my opinion. I know it's a hot take, but I also have a hot take of I think that 2018 2018 French, French team. team is probably one of the greatest World Cup teams of all time. And I know people refuse to believe that because it has Kylian Mbappe on the team. <laughs> <laughs> Fans, I want to know. I want to know. 2010 Netherlands against 2018 Croatia. Let me know what y'all think. Kind of like how you're saying how people you kind of had to rely on people's like almost nostalgia to see yeah. how good a team was. That's the problem is that people yeah. really do rely on nostalgia. I remember in one of our earlier videos we were really praising this Brazilian team, like this this mm. 2022 Brazilian team. And I remember we got so many comments of people saying the 2010 Brazil team would have ran this team. <laughs> And I'm like, what? <laughs> you're going to say Robinho's better than Vinicius Jr. That's what you're saying to me. I think pound for pound, this current Brazilian team is probably the best Brazilian team since 2002. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, 2010 had Kaká. Sure, Kaká was fantastic. One of the best players of his generation between 2005 and 2010. But as a whole, the Brazilian team now is miles ahead of what Brazil had 12 years ago. Yeah, I mean... And that's the thing. Yeah, so, yeah. a lot of people are relying on a lot of nostalgia, yeah, The I nostalgia think. factor in football plays in a big role, man. But yeah. the Brazil specifically, uh, I don't think people like hearing that, that yeah. this is the best team in 20 years for them. But it kind mm -hmm. of... At least for now, I'm pretty big on it because we don't know what the ultimate height is for this Brazilian team. We know the heights for those other ones, and none of them were able to make a final. No, dude. So, you can't tell me that like, like this team isn't finals worthy which, because I do think this Brazilian team is potentially finals bound, man. Yeah. They're loaded in their positions. They're playing so well, and they dominated the Coleman World qualification system this past time around. Like, give them their credit. Don't wait till 10 years from now yeah, exactly. to then argue that the 2036 <laughs> team isn't as good as the 2022 team <laughs> yeah, or some don't bullshit, wait, man. man. Don't I'm wait. tired of that shit. It's scary because... I'm very open-minded, so I'm open to hearing people talk about, you know, mm. nostalgic. Like, mm. like, I had a guy DM me about the 1994 Italian mm. team, and I, I was believing every word he said to me, man. He was talking about <laughs> Baggio's incredible mm. inclusion to the squad. Antonio Conte was on that team. He's just telling me all these amazing things about this team, and I'm like, I'm like, 
what if this scene was just ass? <laughs> what if they were just ass, bro? Yeah, yeah. And this guy's just so nostalgic. Maybe he had it. Maybe maybe he found his wife that year, oh. and so he's just super connected to this and Italian team. I don't blame team. him, then. Jesus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he's putting that shit on me, man. <laughs> right, right. I'm, I'm promoting the the game, the sport, the game of football. I'm out here telling people the 1994 Italy team was good when actually they're fucking trash, bro. <laughs> that's the that's the danger of nostalgia, man. I, I'll leave it up to the viewers. To decide yeah, why not? Point, why not? Yeah. So real quick, I just want to kind of put you on alert. Fuck. We may have a new star on our hands. Fuck. Um. And he plays for Napoli. Oh, oh, uh, the Georgian player. Yeah. Well, how do you say his name? Kavaratskelia. Or the or what did you say to me? <laughs> <laughs> or or more simply, Kavaradona. <laughs> yeah yeah being dubbed the for, next for the, real. the next big thing man he He's went really, uh, well again it wasn't lowly side monsa who just got just promoted credit, man just give him credit it was lowly side monsa but the goals that he put in the back of the net mm -hmm. phenomenal mm -hmm. he looked world-class finishes truly so i'm gonna keep an eye on him see see how he does for this napoli team he, literally coming from the georgian league i looked at his kind of his history obviously starting in georgia as, as, as a georgian uh, but then he, moved, <laughs> then he moved to Rubin Kazan in Russia for a couple okay, of years. Okay. And apparently at the time, it was lauded as like a really good signing because mm. he just went off immediately in Russia. <laughs> uh, obviously for you know, pretty good money because Georgian players just aren't that expensive. And he had like, three good know. seasons there. But then due to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, he was just right. like, you know what? Let me, let me just go back home so I can just get regular playing time yeah. again. Right. So he signs for a Dinamo Batumi, I think is how you pronounce it. Plays there for like half a season. And then in this offseason, Napoli sign him. And just off the bat, it's only been two games in Italy, but has gone off, man. Just first time like in the top five league. And it's like he's been playing there for years. Looking really good, silky on the ball. But he's clever. He's really, really? clever, man. Really skilled. So I'm really, I'm really hyped, honestly, because it's... Seriously, like it is not often we get a player from like this side of the world to have this type of like skill level, like yeah, this high, yeah, yeah. like this yeah. high, like an Eastern European, almost like almost Middle Eastern type of region. Yeah. So really excited for this for this kid, man, because he's got all the support that I can give him. I want him to go off and if he ends up being what Napoli need him to be, this would be ooh, huge, ooh. man. Imagine, yeah. imagine another star just out of nowhere comes up for Napoli just like that. I think I saw, he has like three goals already. No? Already, yeah. That's insane. Yeah, he scored on his debut. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and what's cool, um, Napoli might be a contender for, the, for yeah. the title as well if they win their next game. No, according to your rule. According to my rule. <laughs> so watch out. You know what's funny is hey, that I, I, re I remember that there was one comment that said, hey, watch out for this guy. Yeah. And I, I wonder if it was, if this, it was this, if guy. this guy. I thought it was the other one, the uh, Chris Cavelli or something like that. Mm. He's like a goalkeeper. Oh, okay. He plays, uh, he plays at a top five league. Georgie... Mamardashvili oh, Valencia. for Valencia. That's who it is. Yeah, and he's young, 21 years old. Holy shit, I just realized Valencia has the bat symbol on their fucking logo. Mm -hmm. That's super, that's dope. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, on the same topic about players that escaped Ukraine to find new homes and new clubs to play at, one player that caught my, my eye this weekend went through the same thing. Brazilian-born Tete. From oh. uh, playing for Leon now. Yeah. They just signed him from, it was a Ukrainian club. I don't remember who. Yeah, I think it was Shakhtar. Shakhtar? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He comes in and he scores a goal. Um, I saw him midweek last week. And I was watching this Leon squad and, you know, it was just thinking some thoughts because PSG is going to run this league, right? Mm. They're, gonna, they're most likely the favorites to win. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm looking at the potential nominees for a surprise. Right. And I was watching this Leon game and dude, they're actually very stacked in terms of notable names. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna save a few for the viewers. Go ahead. They just acquired Tagliafico from Ajax. Saw that. The Argentine. Um, reliable. I love his force. I love how he plays. And he even scored a goal as well. Lacazette. He's who's, back. Who's back? He's back. And I, I, I think it's, I'm a, I was a little hesitant with Lacazette, right? Because Lacazette, towards the end of his Arsenal tenure, not looking too good. Mm-mm. But I saw one game of him in League One, and it's crazy seeing how comfortable a player is when he's back at home, bro. Dude, this is his league. <laughs> like he, the French. He should have never left. He should have <laughs> never left. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, so you have Lacazette up top, responsible for scoring goals for you. You got one of my favorite players in world football, 24-year-old Lucas Paqueta, man. Oh, yeah. Love how he plays. Yeah. Um, Bayern Munich, ex-Bayern Munich, Toliso, back with Lyon now I for his second tenure, that. man. Yeah. I was actually kind of, honestly, a little disappointed because I was like, damn, I thought Toliso was going to be the next best midfielder for Bayern, but just never, he played. I mean, yeah. they trusted him. He's yeah. an excellent footballer, but never fully broke into the team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's at that Lyon level. Yeah, I mean, and, he, and the thing is, he's like Lacazette. He's probably going to go off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to be happy yeah. in the French League. And then to me, probably the best player when uh, when he's on it is Toko Okambi for this uh, Lyon Dude, squad yeah. up there up front. And so mm-hmm. those are some notable names. And then you throw in Tete, who just got included to, to the squad as well. I think Lyon was the second most active team in the French League this, this wow. uh, offseason outside of PSG, of course. Okay, okay. So it's good to see them make moves and make moves that I think are actually really good. Yeah. I'm not saying they're going to challenge PSG for the title, but they'll probably be the toughest team for them to beat this season. Yeah. And that's something worth watching because the other ones like Marseille, I think they're dropping off in quality. Mm-hmm. Lil's Ma- dropping off. Lil's dropping quality. off as well. Yeah. Uh, Monaco is nowhere to be seen nowadays. Mm-hmm. Nantes showed in the cup game that they don't have what it takes. They don't. They don't. Um, I saw Lens is up there right now with two games and one tie. I was going to say. <laughs> Whoa. This Lens team, they're actually pretty good. I saw them play this last weekend. Because I saw their highlights in the first mm. in the first week, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Damn!" Because they, they 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 went off in that first game, just uh, in front of their home crowd, and they just had guys making nonstop runs. I was like, "Okay, this is a fun team to watch at the yep. very least." So I saw that they won that game. They tied their second game. I was like, "Okay, well, damn it!" But then they again they went off again. I think they won four one in this last game. So a high scoring team. A high-scoring team, very dynamic offense, a lot of runs, and they have the skill set to do something. That's the thing, you know. It, you have to go the whole way, thirty-eight games, thirty-eight game season. So it's going to be tough. But so far, Lons have gotten off to a great start, man. Great start. So I'll be yeah. interested to see what they do against, you know, top five sides of course, in of France. Course, of course, mm-hmm. yeah, they 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 have the ability to surprise because there's a criteria I have for you know that special team that could maybe pop off is that. I have to not know a single one of their players. Perfect. And when I looked at their lineup, I didn't know a single fucking player, right. man. A single one. I was like, oh, this could be the Lil team of 2018 or some shit. Yes, dude. <laughs> because at the time, I didn't know any of those Lil players. So, I mean, I'll give them that. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I'll give them that. It's, it's, yeah. it's true X Factor. Yeah. It really is. And yeah. they've just all come together, and they're all in form right now. Yeah. So, I, I, obviously, it's very, very early, but... They, I'll be keeping an eye on them for yeah, sure. Keep an eye on Leon, bro. That's where you need to be. That's where your eyes need to be looking, man. Yeah, because yeah, because realistically, Leon will probably have a better chance of yeah. true title contention with yeah. PSG. You're I think right. they're they're gonna be a little fun this year, man. Yeah, trust. Yeah. You know who scored this weekend in Germany? Jordan Pifok, U.S. No men's way. national team striker for Union Berlin, who 
Got off to a great start. Incredible atmosphere in Berlin, man. Like a really cool stadium. It's like a really their their red jerseys are really like a it's like very stark. It's like in your face almost type of red color. It's not warm. It's like a little aggressive that it's like propaganda. The, yeah, there's something <laughs> there's something like really aggressive about their shade of red that they okay. wear. And it's like seeing the whole stadium like that, kind of scary if you're an opponent. Like it's kind of scary. Okay. Like it's blood. <laughs> there's, there's like yeah, yeah, it's like on, blood. Honestly, it reminds you of blood. There's like a so there's a true atmosphere at those games and Berlin have gotten off to a flying start, seven points out of their first three games, so oh, two fuck. wins and a draw. And P fuck. P fuck. P fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting because when you know we're talking about Mexican national team lineups, yes. right? We could kind of have a small little parallel, just real quick, we about should. the offensive choices that uh, is at the disposal for Greg Berhalter, man. I and for the longest for for a while, I thought it was going to be Jesus Ferreira. The yep. FC Dallas striker as the new guy that's going to be starting that number nine position for the U.S. men's national team's offensive line. Yep. Because there was a time when Pepe was the go-to guy, but ever since his move to Augsburg, man, he's not seeing the pitch a lot. He's just not. So it's going to be tough for Burhalter to justify starting him. Yep. And not only that, it's easier to start Ferreira over Pepe because Ferreira's been great for the U.S., man. He's been fantastic as their number nine. But... PFOC has gotten off to a really, really good start in Germany, making the move from Switzerland from young boys to Berlin. Berlin right now flying high. And PFOC, I think, has two goals. I think. Either that or he has a goal and assist at the very least. Um, if he continues this for the next, like, hell, even just a month, right, keeps being involved offensively right. for Berlin, I think Berhalt is actually going to have a pretty tough decision because if you have a guy who's consistent in the MLS – Versus a guy who's scoring in the Bundesliga. I might go with the Bundesliga option, man. Honestly. I yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. I think you got to see him play. So. No, I have. When he's with the U.S. national squad, the chances he's gotten, he hasn't looked good, man. And that's the only he problem. He doesn't look as creative. That's the only problem is that it might be one of those cases where he just can't fit into the U.S.'s yeah. system. Yeah. Like, he's, fa- he's perfect yeah. for Berlin. Perfect. But maybe he just cannot translate it to the way Burhalter wants to play. But still, still, if I'm Burhalter and I'm seeing PFOX score or assist once a week, I have to be like, look. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's definitely. I, I got to not only, is, I gotta not only yeah. bring him, but I got to consider maybe even giving him some serious playing time because yep. I feel like that type of influential play in the Bundesliga, mm-hmm. way, way more valuable than playing in the MLS. Mm hmm. So now if, now, if he was just involved, not scoring or assisting, then I, I'm picking Ferreira like every day. <laughs> but yeah, like Pepe. Yeah. Pepe's, <laughs> Pepe's not involved at all yeah. in, with Augsburg. Yeah, sure, he's there. He's training. He's not involved. Yeah. PFOC is truly, genuinely a part of Berlin's offense. And so if he just keeps this up, man, I, I low-key would want to see PFOC probably start over Ferreira solely because at that point, I might trust him in these big, big, high-octane games in the World Cup. But yeah. again, again, Ferreira, I, th- I think it's a tough choice still, though. It's a tough yeah, choice. Yeah, regardless, he's worthy of a call-up. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, for sure. But with a call-up comes the chance to potentially, like like, like you said, Berhalt is going to have to answer that question soon, but that question might answer itself. We might see Jesus Ferreira go blank, shoot fucking blanks, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. leading up to the tournament, or maybe even that first game of the tournament. Yeah. And he might have to look over to PFOC as that, that backup option. It's very true. We've seen it happen on the international stage where... 
they'll ride the hot hand like no other man <laughs> you're right <laughs> like dude no you're other right, man. so pfock has that chance i'll give that to him and i i definitely could see him somehow finagling his way into the starting position uh of the national squad but uh as of right now the way that things have been set up and the way that i've seen the u.s shape up their squad for me it's it's jesus Ferreira's spot to lose and if he keeps scoring in the mls i think that's his no matter no matter what mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I can definitely see that. It's funny because you just reminded me of. Do you remember Denis Cheryshev for Russia? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't in the starting eleven. Right, by the, the hot hand. by the grace of God comes on due to an injury and got that hot hand. And <laughs> the coach was like, "You're playing every, every single goddamn minute." Fucking game, dude. <laughs> every single one. Yeah. I bet we. I bet we could make a whole list of World Cup players. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. Mean, yeah. And people, people might be that guy, especially he if he's informed. He, he could be that guy for the U.S. Yeah. Right? That's all for this week, folks. Thanks for tuning in and listening to us once again. The Give and Go with Reynoso and... No, oh, I wasn't ready. Sorry. Reynoso and... Soltero. <laughs> and also, we will not be having an episode next week with me being gone. So be aware of that. But we will be back in a couple of weeks to uh, jumpstart this new phase of Give and Go. What, what was it? No, we're not saying that. What we're not using it? that. What was I it? I disagree. Remember? No, we're not to, doing that. To go and give. It's not, it's and not to funny. give and go? No, I refuse and to, to give use and go. Real. We'll catch you guys. We'll catch you guys next time. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>